I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. You're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Repetoculture Network. Salutations. How's everybody doing? I'm back. I gotta sneeze. Let it out, man. Let it out. Nope. False alarm. Oh, it's because you said <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> Can't ruin those good sneezes, man. <clears throat> How is everybody doing? This is episode 106 of Snakes and Stogies, which is brought to you by Puget Sound Pythons, uh, who are also now doing Reptile News Radio. Please check them out. We're going to be doing a new show that's going to be talking about sort of current events and in, in not only herpeticulture, but sort of the scientific side of things, um, other odds and ends. So please check that out. I think the first episode of that is supposed to be dropping here soon. Um, I think beginning of February is what Jeff was telling me they were shooting for. Excellent. Let's see how that goes. And uh, blackboxcages.com, please check them out. I know Phil's sort of now in the process of getting his, uh, his stuff from them. Oh, yeah. It's going to be uh, awesome. Absolutely awesome. I was actually talking to a couple of our mutual friends who have been who recently got black box and they're kind of under the radar people, and uh, they're loving them, loving yeah. them, you know. And and just the versatility of the cages, like let's just just real quick, the versatility of them, the craftsmanship, and then the the response that customers and clients of theirs are giving me like just in chit chat, they're going to build you what you need. You know what I mean? Five stars across the board, whether yeah. it's Facebook or Google. Like yeah. I take, I mean, being sort of part customer service in a way, like I take a lot of pride in the fact that we have flawless reviews. So, yeah, I just saw a incredible <clears throat> six foot enclosure that has tortoises in it. So indoors, it's fantastic. So like sky's the limit with black box, baby. Absolutely. Cannot speak highly enough of them. Please check them out. Black, blackboxcages.com. Facebook, Instagram. Uh, give us a follow. Say hi. And um, there's got some other stuff in the works. So what you see as far as what's what we have currently for sale, there will be more in the future. It just hasn't been sort of rolled out yet. That's all I'll say. But their uh, racks are, are definitely the, the way to go. Um, cages are awesome. All that good stuff. So, uh, what are you smoking on tonight? So tonight, I, I see wanted, you're wearing the hoodie. I, I finally, this is the first time this entire winter season I've had the opportunity to wear this hoodie, and it's only sixty degrees, but it's an excuse. So I'm literally in. I wish you guys could see. I'm in basketball shorts and flip flops, <laughs> but I have the hoodie on because like I had to freaking wear it. You know, I've had the thing for months now. Is it actually cold down there? No, it's only like sixty degrees. I mean, it was like it That's was like nice, it was like fifty. It was like 50 last night, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it got up to like 76 today. So we've actually gotten to freezing and slightly below. So that's a big deal for us. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that doesn't happen often. Speak of the devil. Speaking of ice cold. Uh, there he is. My man. Up, guys? The man who, who cannot be put down. <laughs> Most definitely. I try. 
I try. What's up, Billy Hunt? Nothing, man. Silly Billy. Just uh, trying to get used to this nine to five stuff. That's for the <laughs> yeah, birds, it's man. Weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take my uh, my shift work any day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I told well, Anita, and she's like, "See, I've tried telling <laughs> you. You don't." Hey, what's up, Chris? Um, yeah, she like. <laughs> she's like, I try telling you, but you don't listen. Ooh, Burke is smoking an Avo Uvision nice. Plastic Number Two. I like the Avo stuff. We have people ask for that a lot, and I actually there's there's yet to be an Avo that I didn't like. Like maybe some of them weren't exactly mind blowing or anything, you know, life life changing, but they were all very very solid smokes that I would gladly smoke again. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that. <laughs> so I. My tobacconist from my local shop, he wound up going to a different store. And I just, with work and everything, I haven't been able to go see him. So after work, I ran over there today and uh, I was like, look, man, I want some sticks that like, okay, I'm a creature of habit. I don't Phil, take... Real quick. I'm really sorry. Yeah. And I just want to give a big shout out to Dan. Dan hooked your boy up today. Oh, really? I'm pretty freaking excited. Yeah. 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 Let's so. Let's talk about it. You, we'll talk about it later. You do your talk about your stick thing or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> it's a cigar show, yeah. Billy Hunt. We got to talk uh, about details. Detail. Anyway, details. I bought I bought a bunch of stuff but, that I never. Sorry, I saw Dan. Yeah, I I I bought a bunch of stuff that I'd never seen before. Didn't even know existed. And uh, one thing that caught my eye, like in tobacco, we always talk about you know different types of leaves, different localities of of the crop, and and. One thing that I'm always appreciative of is aesthetics, right? And this is a Cinco Nicaragua in a Toro box press. And it's in an aluminum, like, aluminum sleeve. Justin, have you seen oh, these before? Oh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen them online. I haven't actually seen them in person, though. So it's pretty cool. It's like, it's like tin or aluminum, and you pop the top off. <clears throat> and then inside is your cellophane. Mm. And it's... Probably one of the nicest box press I've ever seen. Yeah, sharp, sharp edges. Very, very sharp edges. And I, I cheated. I already opened this one and cut it because I wasn't going to bring my cutter out here because Lord knows I'd lose it. But just for all you ASMR people. <laughs> oh, my God. Make it stop. <laughs> but even the, the band itself is phenomenal. It's like a metallic matte. Very impressive. Yeah, so. all this stuff's solid, man. I actually I was talking to Raj about trying to get some of that in because that's one one brand that we have people ask for a lot. So, and the name is fun to say. Avo, Cinco. All right, Billy Hunt. So, how did Dan take care of you? Um, I, I just I got a couple animals from him. That's all. Do you care to share what they may be? <laughs> Stop being cryptic, know. bitch. You got to have like <laughs> secret <laughs> projects, right? Okay, all right. So this is something to be deep. This is something to be debuted in a future time. No, I can show you. I'll send you pictures. Um, okay. Where do you want them? Messenger. Yeah, messenger. I actually, uh, I have a surprise for tonight. I just sent it. So. We shall, uh, we'll see. Sent it, sent it where? 
I just sent it out into the ether, as Bill Bradley would say. Uh, Jeff knows. Jeff already knows. He's on it. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Most important news is I got a mouse pad finally. Nice. And it works works amazingly. No more struggles with the mouse. It's a Christmas miracle. Hey! There it is. What? That's hey. what's up? Hey. A I long these time guys. to see. Dad. Yeah, right? <laughs> Papa Burke. Been a little bit. So I, I messaged Eric earlier and I was like, hey man, we're doing Billy's book club. You know, you should be the surprise guest, you know. <laughs> Seeing as how he probably has the most hurt books out of all the four of us combined or well, yeah, the three I, of us combined. <laughs> well, now, now I really don't want to do my papers. <laughs> I, actually, no, I was excited about the papers because I don't have uh, any more books to talk about. I don't either. Decent. What... So I was like, papers? Hell yeah. I was like, I got me between Billy and I, like he sends me a bunch of cool papers all the time. So it's like we got plenty of those to talk about. Yeah. So, oh. I get to embarrass oh, myself in front of the Podfather. <laughs> no worries. We're not <laughs> can't worthy. Do that. Come on. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> we suck. As he puffs on a cigar, right? Hundred dollar <laughs> Cuban. Yeah. I love how he's in his room doing it. Like, kudos to you, sir. Kudos yeah. to your wife. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. Well, she's actually away. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I smoke my pipe in the house when my my wife's out of town too. So right there with you. Yeah. Nice, excellent. Like if excellent. it's gonna linger, at least it'll smell good. Well, real quick before we start diving into the book awesomeness, uh, let me show Billy's pictures he just sent me. Um, forgive me, my screen share is getting funky. Well, while Phil is doing that, I am smoking the Alec Bradley Coil La Vega. Coil, C-O-Y-O-L. Uh, I haven't had it before. Rep gave it to me the other day. He said it's named after the little, there's these little trees, I guess, that grow in these tobacco fields. And that's what they're called, is coils. Very cool. Coil. <clears throat> Ooh. Mm. What are we yeah. looking at here, Billy? Uh, go to the Go to the other picture, not the bucket one, but the other one. I love that snake. I love lamp. Oops. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> he showed me that for the first yeah, time man. the other day. And I was dying. You need to get that on a shirt. <laughs> Without a doubt, that has dying. to be a shirt. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what is that? That That's is a... Bump. a that is a M-Pen Red Stripe from, Hooray, uh, beer. from Pennell's 2019 clutch. So I already have a female from that clutch. So I got, I guess we're naming her Miss January since she's famous. Um, I was getting that one. And then he was like, hey, if you want this, you know, this male too, you know, we figured it out. And I was like, absolutely. Because uh, I just had that female, and I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do with her. So now I have two animals with that look that uh, that Mike's been going for with, like, the weird granity yeah. type of sides and stuff. So I'm really stoked about it. Um, I wasn't expecting it. It just kind of happened. You know how that 
how that happens. Like you're not planning on getting anything and then stuff arises and, and there you go. Very cool, man. Yeah. Apparently that's the snake that like escaped for like months a while back. I don't know if you guys remember that (laughs) when Dan, (laughs) Dan was like, Oh, I lost it. And then, you know, finally found it. So he's like, Hey, he's a little small. Just to let you know. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, man. Yeah, just super, super excited. I wasn't expecting that. And was there another picture or not? Oh, yeah. Uh, there was. There's just the one with it on the, uh, in the calendar. Yeah. Let me try and grab that one because this thing's acting weird. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't even realize that was the the same snake. And then he kept calling it Miss January. And, uh, <laughs> so naturally, I mean, <laughs> you have to go with that. So That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's pretty Look, cool. Look, it, it has a little bit of that black stripe in the middle that we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, it does. It she'll do, she'll do just fine over here. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, I like it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Shout out to Dan. That was made my day on that one. So thanks, man. So we want to run through the the Smitty's top ten of twenty twenty one since we forgot to do it last week. Yeah, let's do it, man. <clears throat> All right. So if you're in the Snakes and Stogies group, I compiled this little list here. Of my top picks for uh, top cigars of 2021. Uh, the criteria for these is based off the fact that basically you should be able to find them in most retailers on like a lot of the lists you see online. Um, and they were picked off the criteria. They were just things that stood out to me over the uh, over the year. So uh, number one is that La Roma de Cuba Passion. Uh, I have it in the Torpedo. That was the one cigar that once we got it in, I could not stop smoking it. Like I would, I would almost get a craving for it, which is kind of uncommon. Um, it's fantastic. It's such a good cigar. So that's number one. I know I've talked about that a lot the last couple weeks on here. That's a cigar that's just been on my my regular rotation. Um, I have one right here next to me to smoke after this. Next was number two was Roma Craft, the Neanderthal Grand Perfecto. So y'all already know that I'm a massive Neanderthal fan when it comes to the Roma Craft stuff. It's a nice uh, San Andreas Maduro wrapper. Uh, for whatever reason, in that bigger gauge of like a 60 or so, it works really well. Uh, I get a little nervous with some of the Roma Craft stuff because when you tend to go deeper or bigger with the ring gauge, the blend kind of feels a little, tastes a little off. Um, but not the case with these. I actually think it improves the Neanderthal blend. Number three, this one may be a little harder to find because this was a uh, exclusive release for the people, the retailers who attended the PCA show back in July, and that's the Crown Heads La Patissie. Um, It's a Corona, Lonsdale, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> really nice, interesting blend of different tobaccos. Uh, I think there's some Peruvian stuff in there, which is a little interesting. Really enjoyed that one. Uh 
Number four was the Agonorsa Leaf, Gardening of the Farm, but particularly the JJ size. Uh, that's another one I talked about a lot. For whatever reason, it came in four different sizes, and that's the one that's kind of in the middle between the Apollo and the other one's called the Campion. That one's nestled right in the middle, and I think that it's like a 52 ring gauge, and I think that's where that, that blend really really works well. So if you can find that one, they're relatively inexpensive. They're like $8.95. It's a fantastic smoke, Corojo wrapper, which I'm all about. Number five was the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Sin Compromiso. If you can find those pretty much in any size, they're all phenomenal. That's become yes. my favorite of the Saka stuff. Yes. I sent Bill one. He knows what it's what they're all about. Exquisite. <clears throat> they're very good. Uh, there's, I mean, all the Dunbarton stuff is good. It is a little more expensive. Uh, I think the Sins start at about $16.95 and go up from there. But yeah, they're, but if I, if they're I worth every chance- penny. Exact. I literally took the words in my mouth. If I have the chance to get, the, if I'm spending sixteen, seventeen dollars on a nice, you know, Perdomo or Padron, I'd rather get that. To be brutally honest, mm-hmm. yep. that is a that's a it's a great one. It's a really interesting wrapper too. It's a little grown a little differently. Um, so instead of the whole plant, Saka basically takes like the bottom two thirds of the plant and cuts it. Like even when they're small, so that all those nutrients and stuff go to that top third. And so you get just absolute powerhouse as far as the leaves and the and the growth and, and the tobacco and stuff. So it makes for an interesting and potent uh, potent wrapper. Uh, number six was the Arturo Fuente Reserva Don Carlos. Uh, that's a nice Cameroon. I'm not a massive Fuente guy, but I really do like those Don Carlos. That's a fantastic smoke. Tons of different sizes to pick from. They're all solid. So if you see those, give those a shot. The dude, Cameroon is making a making a killing in tobacco, yeah. man. Yeah. I don't mean I don't mean monetarily. I mean just like the quality of it, you know. Yeah, it's just the problem is, is it's such a delicate wrapper. Um, it doesn't handle temperature change, like extreme temperature change, quickly very well. It cracks very easily. Uh, you'll be hard pressed to smoke one and it not crack at some point down as you get closer to the end of it. Um, and that's just how they are. That's just the name of the game. It's to be expected pretty much at this point. Uh, number seven is the Perdomo Habano Connecticut. Uh, I put Churchill, but really any of the sizes again. That's probably one of my favorite Connecticut's on the market right now. I'm also not a big Perdomo guy, but I do love these Habano Connecticut's. So that's something that should be easy to find at your local shop. Um, fantastic smokes, tobacco, and those Asian bourbon barrels for about three or four months before it's rolled. <clears throat> it doesn't really have like a bourbony flavor to it, but it has a very subtle sweetness that I, I kind of enjoy. Uh, I like a little sweetness. I don't like a ton of sweetness. Uh, number eight was Agonorsa Leaf, their Anniversario Maduro. Don't know exactly why it is. I like this so much. It was just a good smoke. I enjoyed it. I smoked a handful of them. Uh, number nine, Placencia Alma Fuerte Solomon. This is one was interesting because that's a size. Solomons are not a size I typically go for. Uh, so basically it tapers. Like it starts out fatter, and then as you smoke it, it gets thinner. Um, for whatever reason, that's just never done much for me. Uh, but this this Alma Fuerte is is really good. Um, surprisingly, especially with the with the sort of the uh, odd shape, whatever you want to call it. Uh, number ten was my father, the judge in the Corona Gorda. So this is a blend that I really didn't care for in the bigger sizes. So when I saw it in a Corona, I was a little skeptical about it. <clears throat> uh, but it is absolutely phenomenal when you shrink it down into that, that smaller gauge. That's another one that you should be able to find at most retailers. Most of these you should be able to find. 
I think the crown heads is going to be the hardest one out of all of them to come across. Um, so do you think, do you think that Gorda is um, it's because it's, they're using less of one thing and less of another. And the, the, I don't want to say the blend, but if the leafs accent each other better in a smaller size, because one isn't overpowering the other and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't. Maybe that is the issue with the blend in the bigger sizes is that that filler and binder for for me, like as far as my taste, it just doesn't work. We sell a ton of them; they're very popular. I've given them multiple shots, and they just don't do it for me. So, okay, I think it is when you shrink it down and you get more uh, deep into that that wrapper rather than the you know the filler and the binder. Um, it just works better. You know, it's more concentrated flavor. Uh, and then I'll run yeah, through man. these honorable mentions real quick. Sure. Oliva Serie V, 135th anniversary. That's a fairly recent release. I think they those dropped back in December. Um, nothing different about that blend compared to the other Serie Vs. It's just an interesting shape where once again it starts out really thin and then it gets wider as you smoke it. So it you know changes up as you as you go. Starts out stronger and sort of mellows out. <clears throat> uh, next was the Warp Chinchaye. I really enjoyed that one. I believe that's warped all. They're they're all Dominican uh, blend which I don't think they've done before. It's not uncommon, but it was just, that was a good release. I enjoyed that. Crown Heads, Lomperiosa. I know I've talked about those in the Snakes and Stogies group a good bit. That's a great smoke. Oh, yeah. Classic. Uh, yeah. My Father, Connecticut. That's another one of my go-to Connecticut's. Really nice sort of peppery. We call it the Smokers Connecticut at the shop because it is, compared to others, like the Oliva Connecticut Reserve and stuff like that, They it is a little more, little more punchy. It's got more pepper to it. Yeah. Um, and then the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Sober Mesa Brulee Blue, which was a limited release that they did. That was also it's like a Corona and uh, also has like a slightly sweetened tip to it. Um, it's a fantastic smoke. It's the, the Brulee stuff in general is like dessert in cigar form. It's just really <laughs> subtle, but really sort of elegant and nuanced and a bona fide tobacco libation. Yes. <laughs> So all of those you should hopefully be able to find at your local shop. Um, it drives me crazy when I see lists and they put like half the list is Cubans and half the list is um, stuff that, you know, they only release like 10 boxes of at a thousand dollars a box. Uh, I think that's, that's absolute crap, you know, cause yeah. it's like, Hey, this is our number one cigar. You should really try it. And then it's like, Oh yeah, you're never going to find one. So right. you just have to take our word for it. You know? So I try to make the list based off stuff that a, we sell it at the store and B, stuff that you can easily find. You know, you should at least be able to find half those cigars at your local shop. Yeah. And they're all within a reasonable price range, too, because Half Wheel just did their top 25, and half the cigars on that list were like $40 plus. And it's like, come on. Yeah. Wh- yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. So. So it's good shit, man. I love it. I also wanted to chime in that I recently saw something that I had never seen before, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to say brand name or anything just because I don't want people to get a a bias towards one thing or another. But for those of you who keep your cigars in the cellophane and either age them in the cellophane or age them, you know, or just keep them in the humidor in the cellophane, whatever, you notice they start to discolor with age, which is typically a good thing, right? A lot of times it's like a yellowing or like an ambering of the cellophane. There's a couple companies now that are putting out a brand new fresh cigar in a yellowed cellophane. Perdomo does that with their champagnes. Yeah, and I well, I wasn't going to say that, but there you go. 
And I just wanted people to know that if you hear or that you've learned that, you know, a, a yellowing of cellophane or an aging is, is a good thing in one regard or another, just because it's yellow cellophane, don't assume that it's been aged or that it's better than the others or whatever, because well, people, you know, sales gimmick shit, you know, we'll take it a step further. Uh, that, that one in particular is a Connecticut rapper. Uh, and with Connecticut wrappers, you're not typically going to see that ambering of the cellophane just because it's a much less oily leaf. Right. Um, it's a much lighter leaf. It doesn't have those, the mixing and, and sort of, uh, the tenons. It, yeah, it doesn't have that, that leaching of oils and mixing of oils. So you're not going to get that amber wrapper or amber cellophane that you'll get with, with darker stuff. So. Yeah, they come into yellow cellophane, but it's very clearly like a yellow cellophane. It's not, you know, if you saw it next to like a nice ambered cigar, you'd understand. You know, it's not even close to the same thing. So, yeah. Yep. But they are very good cigars. It's a very good Connecticut. Duly noted. So, what else is on the agenda, boys, before we start flipping through literature? <laughs> I don't have anything. Nothing? I don't think so. What What do you got, Phil? You got something. I don't got nothing. I brought Burke. <laughs> that was my something. Uh, <laughs> all right. I get to wear I my hoodie. To say something? No, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just figured it. I know that, Billy uh, will be on NPR tomorrow. How about that? There's one thing. Hey. There you go. Hey. Yeah. Excellent. Can't wait to listen. And yeah, Rob Stone was on Colubrids and Colubroid Radio, which will be out Wednesday, which is Ooh. a phenomenal episode. Excellent. Excellent. Is it just them and Rob, or is there somebody else? Yep. No, just them and oh, Rob. Man, yeah. That's, That's become one of my favorite podcasts, man. It's so good. Yeah. 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 They're a different level of nerd, man. <laughs> <laughs> Take it to a whole new level. I just think it's fantastic that there's been so much brumation talk, you know, and obviously their brumation episode is, I can confidently say one of the greatest podcast episodes of, of in our community ever, just because it covers so much stuff, you know, but it is cool to like, we all get the gears turning, you know, and talking oh, about yeah. doing it one way, doing it another, not doing it at all, whatever it may be. So it's very, yeah, that's another, that's another one I forgot. Yep. The short tail podcast. Oh uh, Yeah. Strictly shorties. It's now up on Apple. I know in the thing she says awesome. it's not, but yeah, April April kills it. And I, we, they were that episode was done like a month ago, and they had technical difficulties. So let's get to we know Keith about McPeak. that all too well. <laughs> yeah, don't we? <laughs> I was surprised when I posted pictures of the Loma Alta Bairds in the in the NPR chat, and Keith was like. Set aside some of those for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I, I talk about that at the beginning of NPR tomorrow that you broke Owen and it was your master plan to take over. Because <laughs> he has them now. Yep. Yeah. Wait, Owen got birds? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. When did I, I yeah, he did, he did. Well, he didn't explain it. He didn't give me any context. He just sent me pictures. He's like, these were just dropped off to me. I want to make sure they are what they told me they were. And I figured right. I'd ask an addict before I asked anybody else. Nice. <laughs> like, yeah, they're bears. I was like, they're really nice ones too. And he's like, good, I'm going to hold on to them. And I was like, good, yeah. then my plan is working is what I told him. <laughs> <laughs> they were planted. It's not a mistake. The behind, the, the behind the scenes message was, 
these are really cool. I think Justin was right. <laughs> <laughs> little, little does Owen know that Justin actually slipped a, a, a Walt Whitman Bridge bum selling pretzels 20 bucks to go give him these bag of snakes. <laughs> uh, I got a, a bag of rolled gold and some uh, 20 with your name on it if you can drop these off. <laughs> Oh man, they are very nice bears, though. They're, they're, it's a nice, nice looking pair. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So I, I was gonna say, is uh, Billy, what's the temp by you? Because didn't you have ice on your windshield this morning? <laughs> I was stranded. <laughs> stranded. Fifteen minutes this morning. Yeah, I couldn't like leave. I was almost late to work. Like I, I'm not used to this. So like, what happened? I, well, I go outside and like there's ice everywhere. I'm like, okay, I could just wipe it off. You know, it's usually not anything crazy. No, this was like on there. Well, they have this so, thing like, called a defroster, you know? Yeah, but it doesn't yeah. work fast. It's not a fast acting fix. It takes about 15, like yeah. 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, I found that out. Yeah, you got to warm the car up. The problem is, it's really a problem here. So we don't have like windshield scrapers for ice and stuff. So it's like we just have to sit there and wait. You guys are amateurs, man. Just what I <laughs> well, I've seen maybe I don't. It's been like two degrees here. Oh, maybe geez. maybe it's because of social. That. Maybe it's because of social media. But I've been seeing so many videos of people that are just don't know about ice pouring hot water on their windshield, <laughs> and like oh, they're like, look, work? they're like, look, it's working, it's working, and I'm just watching this. I'm like, there's a reason why they're filming this. You know, yeah, you know right. what I mean? Wait for it. At least I knew that much not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw another guy that he's like, yeah, man, my my door's frozen shut. So I'm just going to pour some hot water in the crack. And like you just watch that window start to just like twitch. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got three books that are new to me. I probably have some more that I'm forgetting, but uh Justin and Billy are bringing a bunch of papers for Billy's book club tonight. So do you guys want to just do the round round Robin? Like we always do. And I mean, Papa Burke has like a giant stack. He showed me. So that's scary. Um, but do you guys want to just do the round Robin thing or do you want to do the papers first or how do you want to do I, this? I feel like me and Billy's papers are probably going to be the same ones. Cause we, we bounce a lot off each other, but I also, there's one in particular that Dr. Messenger sent me a while back that I have to find. Cause I don't know if I saved it or not. Okay. Um, I'm sure we got different stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. We'll be good. (laughs) But yeah, whatever you, yeah, let's let's just keep it the same, uh, same template. All right. So Smitty's going first. Go ahead, Phil. Uh, Yeah. No, you, Phil, you go, not me. All right. Well, so I couldn't remember if we talked about this book on air or if, like I showed it or we just talked about it because of the uh, stiletto snake bite report that we did a few months back. But I have the edition chimera, the African and Middle Eastern burrowing asps and their allies. It's nice. pretty awesome. And they're very boring snakes. I was going to say, it's amazing they can make a book that thick about those things. It, and that's the thing is, it not only is it about stilettos themselves, but like their allies. So like the Harlequin snakes and stuff like that. 
it's you know biology venom and envenomating it, it, it's incredible just the morphology the f- the physical attributes i mean yeah scale counts and stuff are cool but just all the different samples and locality specimens and it's just an incredible book it even goes into the different habitats and like i'm fascinated with stiletto snakes and i plan on keeping some in the in the near future so to me this was like a quintessential book that i had to have but going into other species that i didn't even know existed you know like i mean the harlequin snakes are cool and stuff but i didn't know like what was in in depth in there you know in the whole genus and species excuse me so and some of the pictures are just incredible some stuff that like so here's a cape wolf snake which is not venomous but they're showing it because it's prey and it's a mimic oh wow like super cool stuff man and of course edition chimera everything is to the t and and referenced out the wazoo and just some of the animals. I mean, yeah, most of them are black, but like this one here is quill snouted snake, the waterbird quill snouted snake. Let's see if I can get this closer. Oh, what happened? That's a rosy boa, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Which localities are? <laughs> man, hold on. Let me find you a good-looking harlequin. Hold on. Oh, what, Crested Gecko? <clears throat> and like just the dentition. You know what I mean? Oh wow, that's Super gnarly. Cool. That's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, let me find you a harlequin, a good-looking harlequin. This is something you don't see every day. So here's a spotted harlequin, and they document the full bite from oh, envenomation wow. all the way through hospitalization, okay. down, the swelling and all that. Mm. So yeah, if you're if you're interested in this genre of snakes and you know stuff that you don't normally see or that you've never even heard of, this is a super cool book if you can find it. Um, and if you like stilettos, man, this is this is the book. Of course, now that I've mentioned all these harlequins, I can't friggin' find them. Yeah, it looks like it goes really in depth on everything. About yeah, them. literally everything. I'd love to know. I'd love to know how long it took them to do this book because I feel like the guys that wrote this, like this, is their life's work. You know. Possibly, yeah. And then it goes into actual bites of different species. Oh, wow. And it's it's super interesting because there's very little to no fatalities, but the damage is just oof, horrible, horrible damage. And yeah, it's always people, wrong place, wrong time. And you know, there's so many mimics in Southern Africa and in Eastern Africa that everyone thinks it's a purple gloss snake or they think it's an a tall black snake or whatever it is, you know, and, and they pick it up and huh, it doesn't go so well. So. Yeah, we need to get Mike on here one one night. Yeah. Mike Clarkson, he got nailed by one years and years ago. 
we could talk about that. But I mean, he's I'm sure he's probably told that story about a million times, so he's probably exhausted with it. But still, he'd be a cool guy to have on just because of all the travel he's done. And oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And he smokes cigars too. So nice. Yeah, that's right. He's in our group chat. So yeah, this is my first pick of the evening, and uh, I'm gonna find this picture if it kills me. I know, riveting, captivating entertainment. Ooh. I can't wait to see it, Phil. This is what happens. I build up the suspense. <laughs> I talk a big game. I show it to you. And then Probably it's not a, even in that book. And then it's a fucking <clears throat> rosy boa. Uh, I was going to look up a rosy boa real quick, but I won't be that guy. I feel like the four or five pages I'm looking for are just glued together from, from being on the bookshelf. And oh, I wasn't I'm, sure where I'm, you were going with that for a second. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. All right. Well, while we wait, Billy, how's your uh, how's your season going? You've, you've been pretty busy. Oh, yeah. Are those the centipede wow. eaters? No. Oh, that's cool. That was worth the wait, Philip. Yep. And then here's because Billy likes stripes. Uh oh, rumor has it. Rumor has it. <laughs> so this is the, this is a spotted or southern harlequin, and I mean spots are cool, but dude, look at these stripes. Oh wow. Ooh. Okay. That is pretty cool. I'm down with that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, nerding out hardcore. I like it. Good stuff, man. So those are considered relatives, though. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. The um, uh, I think there's like six or seven species that are in that same you know genetic tree, but in terms of Atractaspis as a as a genus, I think there's fourteen or sixteen individual species. Hmm. Let me see. Hold on. <clears throat> Well, I'm wasting time. You guys can Google it, Wikipedia it, buy it on Amazon. I've been made fun Figure of. Figure it out yourself. Go to the next person. I'm done. <laughs> oh, Billy? Gosh. I'm next. All right. All right. So, first one I'm going to do. So, this kind of like, this is more highlighting like a, a website that I came across. Um, I am going to butcher his name, I but it is what it is. Uh, Roy Arthur Blodgett? Blodgett? The Spilodi Sulfurous guy? Yeah, Blodgett. Blodgett, there we go. <clears throat> so he does a ton of work with uh, Spilodi Sulfurous, so like the big uh, yellow Amazon bird eating, puffing snakes, whatever. They have like a thousand common names. So he just um, he just moved all his information to well, well, make sure I got it. I think it's well, wellsprings, wellspring herp. wellspringherpeticulture.com. So uh, 
pretty much. He just did a, a whole thing on uh, keeping them, just husbandry, all that kind of stuff. It's just all stuff. But he, like, keeps them in huge enclosures. He keeps them in basically, uh, like, biotope type of situations, kind of like guys do with uh, with aquariums, you know? So, like, he tries to keep stuff to... Uh, if they're from a certain area, he only uses those plants. He only uses, you know, stuff from that area. So, uh, just going through everything. Yeah, that's the website. So, if you go to Husbandry Resources... There we go. It's going to make this so much easier. Yeah, so there's one of his cages, um, which yeah, is just incredible. Splody's yeah. cages. Yeah, <laughs> so just with all the different uh, branches, all the plants, he has videos of him drinking out of bromeliads. Uh, he's just doing really, really awesome stuff with that species. Um, and just going through the natural history and all that. Like, there's... This isn't a species that is really a lot is known about. Um, honestly, outside of him and Jason Hood, I really don't know many people that are actually working with them and trying to learn more about them. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really to me because I've I've got an interest in the you know the big South American colubrid stuff, um, especially as of late. So when I came across this website and all this stuff, it just I nerded out on it. Like there he has his plant list. Yeah, that's and... so cool. I've never seen anybody do that before. Especially yeah, as he's popular next as level. plants have be yeah, as, as as popular as plants have become, like that's kind of the stuff people are gonna be wanting now. Oh yeah, for sure. And then that, you know, you can definitely take multiple hobbies and and put them together. I mean, there's nothing cooler than that. But uh yeah, just the amount of information he has on these animals that are just you know, relatively unknown is uh, that was Bill saying? Yes, exactly. So, uh, Cohab does all that kind of stuff. So he's just doing really cool stuff. So Roy's doing, doing awesome. He's got other, other resources too on the website. Uh, he did like a blog type of situation where he just kind of talked about. Uh, like how he would quarantine uh, imports that would come in, how he would treat them, uh, just different things he was trying, you know, with them and stuff. And um, so if you're interested in Spilotes at all or South American snakes, uh, definitely go to, you know, go to this site and check it out. Roy is a wealth of knowledge and yeah, I'm sure he great. doesn't mind people. Yeah, it does look, it looks awesome. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I like that stool he has in front of the cage. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he's got a lot of miles on that thing. <laughs> yeah, see, I, we had him on the show a while back, and uh, I just I appreciate what he does. A like the lengths he goes for these, the, you know, the handful of species he focuses on, which isn't a ton. He's not like a lot of us that have, you know, five plus different species they're working with. Um, he's like hyper focused pretty much on these right here uh so tricolor hogs uh i forget what these were called um and then the spilotes but he like he keeps them in those super elaborate the monkey lizards that's what it was uh he keeps them in these really nice setups and stuff but he's not the type that's gonna like force it down your throat if you're not doing that and so to me that 
you know, I like the fact that he's like, hey, if you work, you know, if you keep stuff in racks and you're keeping things in a simple manner, like that's cool and all too. But that's just how yeah. he likes to do things. I just like the fact that he's not like cramming it down your throat that you need to be doing what he's doing. Yeah, he's not the elitist that says, oh, you don't have a 12, 12 foot by 12 foot enclosure, then you don't have a business doing it. Yeah. Super cool, man. And mad props yeah, to the cool. enclosures. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, he's he's doing it right. Ooh, boy, that's just wow. South American Jansen and I right there. Mm. Yes, sir. Just a tad bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jason yeah. put an adult in my hands at a at one of the Tampa shows. Holy crap, man! It's there's something about those really big arboreal colubrids like when you're holding them it's just it's different from anything else you know and when they're nine ten foot it's just it's incredible and i feel like like it's hard to explain i feel like when you get a big one like that like people that have held pythons is totally different people that have held you know big kribos it's totally different because you have that size but you don't have that weight it's almost like they're they're more airy. I mean, obviously they they have a heaviness to their body, but it's there's so much more nimble. If that makes sense, they're not as dense. They're not as dense. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, and I think it's cool too. How, um, like, if you see his adults, they have more of the like they change from that the look that his babies have with like the pastel colors mm-hmm. going there. And they kind of change into the more golden brown, sometimes olive green to, you know, that color where there's a little yellow and it's mostly black. And then Jason's babies seem to be darker as babies. And then as they get older, they get a lot more vibrant yellow to them. So Hmm. I've always wondered if that was like a locale thing or, or what I've asked Jason about it. And he's like, I don't know. There's, his are that color, mine are that color. So I don't, nobody's really looked into it too much, but I'm sure there's, it has to be a locality thing because, especially with how variable things are down there in different areas. Oh, yeah. You know, foothill to foothill. Super yeah, cool. There you go. Yeah. That could be it. Well, that seems to be what most of them that are coming in now uh, seem to look like. Like the ones Roy have, so yeah, uh, it's possible that's you know the ones from Suriname and the guy in a shield and stuff. So that would make a lot of sense. Very awesome. cool. Yeah, that's how it's done. I guess I'm up. Yeah. So for me, I have some books here, but. Um, since we're going to be doing a lot of herping again in the U.S. this year, we're going to Southern California, Arizona, trying to get back down to Florida, going to do some more in Pennsylvania. I'm obsessed with rattlesnakes. Yeah. <laughs> the boy. Um, yeah. Nice. So I've been getting into that. Um, also working on the Timber Rattlesnake Show for Student of the Serpent. This book has helped a lot. So very cool book if you're into rattlesnakes. The Venomous Etiquette. Uh, no, <laughs> the venomous, uh, venomous. Why am I drawing a blank on the name? Venomous Exchange Radio. 
Yeah, that's it. Duh. <laughs> is uh, <laughs> so many podcasts I can't keep up. Anyway, yeah. uh, that last episode, you know, the, the sucky thing about all these podcasts coming out is like you hear people talking about it and you get excited about it and then want to either work with it or know about it or yeah. So rattlesnakes. Excellent. It's it's all nipper, man. It's all, it's all <laughs> yeah, nipper. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, dude. Just sticking Willardy down your throat, you know. That's another thing. I used to say Willard I, and then I start hanging out with him, and it's Willardy. Uh, and now yeah. I just I say it. I say it naturally now, which is it's annoying. <laughs> He's burning to my brain so bad. Whenever I hear anybody, anybody on anything say niche, yes, I just I go nah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's it, man. I hear him saying, "Oh, mate, what are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Isn't man. it funny though how like him getting excited about like U.S. rattlesnakes sort of almost gets you pumped just as much because yeah, like he, he realized what you've got and that you're not appreciating it enough. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Because of him, I have picked up every single ribbon snake I've found in the past year. When normally <laughs> I'd be like, oh, it's another ribbon snake. Would scoot it off the road, keep driving, keep walking. No, right. now I'm like, now I'm like, Nipper would be proud. Hundred percent. Is that is it my turn? Sure. Okay. Uh, let's go to the screen share because this paper is probably one of my favorites from last year, and it is about that new species of alafe that uh, I know we've talked about it on here, but it talks about the the mimicry of the. Protobothrops jordani. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if I can scroll down to the picture. So basically, they found this this species and the similarity to it and those oh, yeah. uh, those Jordan's pit vipers are just. And this is the insane. one that Doc Messenger sent you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, incredible! Look at that head. Given how much I've come to love Chinese alafe, uh, you know these things are freaking amazing, man. Like. I would own these in a heartbeat. And these are interesting because their dentition is considerably different from others in that same genus, like their, their relatives. Right. Um, like some of their rear teeth were more bladed. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Dude, 21st century, man. Killing it. Let's see if I can find more of the pictures of the uh, oh. snakes themselves. But yeah, so they had a, uh, where was it? I think it was these rear teeth right here that they were talking about were were unique because they were just larger and sharper. But it's not a you know they're not a venomous or rear fang species. So they have no Duvnois glands. No, not that I not that I recall. And I mean they look just like the other others in the genus. There's just the colors and patterns just mimic these yeah. protobothrops so well. It's almost eerie. Like you there's there's very it's very hard to deny that those things are, are mimicking those. Uh, so this is just a phylogenic tree. It has uh, side-by-side comparison photos with Giordani, right? Yeah, somewhere. I'm scrolling down. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe not. There was a website I was just on earlier that showed a better picture of it. but I just that. had a hemidactylus run across my foot. Nice. Yep. Let me see if it ears. Welcome to Florida. One. Welcome to Florida. 
Yeah, so that's the protobothrops right here. That's the actual rat snake. And I know like these pictures don't really do them justice, but if you saw them in better lighting. Yeah, and I feel like they picked a protobothrop specimen that it was lighter. Was, that was lighter and, and yeah. didn't have as much uh, burgundy to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel but like look, they, I mean they're they're even yeah. like I think that's a black speck that mimics that that pit too, maybe. Yeah. Unless they oh, put yeah. that there, I could be wrong, but it's just crazy how much it looks like those. Yeah. Yeah. The eye stripes. Yeah. Yeah, man. They they got the most green Jordani they could find. Like they're mm -hmm. usually, I mean, at least the ones that we see in in in, in our hobby, there's so much more red and burgundy. So, yeah, that is that coloring. Look at yeah, that. Oh, it's right. got a, a, a colored scale. And yeah. I mean, it could have just been this one individual, I guess, because I don't see it on the other side here. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's wild. Like the reds that you see oh, on yeah. those protobothrops, you know, it's it's that same burgundy. Uh, yeah, just I don't know. It was just one of the coolest finds, I think, as far as herpetofauna, you know, worldwide. It was one of the neatest discoveries that we've seen in a long time. And it's something as simple as just, you know, in a laugh, eh? but yeah. it's just, it's bizarre to see something mimic something so well like that. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was not a species that we had known about for years and years. And no, they, no, this so is this like new, new, just like they found it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Even better. Even. And it, this is the kind of stuff I like too, because it's kind of hard to, disagree with it yeah especially when it's a like a brand new species and it's like yeah it just so happens to look exactly like a proto uh, protobothrops that shares that same you know area with it it's not like the the rhino rat thing where there's people that are like yeah i don't know if i buy the new you know hainan hainanensis or whatever and rhino rats uh yeah. this is sort of undisputed you know it's it's its own thing you know there's no mistake in it now i know Jordoni has a, a fairly wide range. It's not like, you know, isolated or whatever, but is the rat snake in the same exact range or is it even, you know, is it sequestered even more? Uh, if I recall, and I'd have to read over this again, uh, I think it was actually in a, a very small pocket. Okay. Um, but also talking to Dr. Messenger, um, one of his buddies, I think, is actually the one that did this this study. Um, talking to Dr. Messenger, you know, he says the terrain there's so, so hardcore in some areas that he's like, there's, there's all kinds of stuff we just don't see because the terrain is just un, unmanageable. You know, you can't, uh, yeah, you can't, yeah, I remember it. He, he showed us those pictures and man, just like thinking about the worst terrain I've ever heard and that it, those Chinese mountains, man, is crazy, mm -hmm. crazy. So, Let me see if I could find some more information on it. Phil, you can go with your next one if you want. You struggling? You good? Yeah, I'm trying not to burn my microphone. <laughs> so I've got a couple burn marks on mine. It's fine, man. Yeah, Ed's character, right? So my next book is a very unique book. So this book was a gift from to me from 
the one and only Mr. Nipper Reed. And uh, I'll try not to butcher this this name, but it says, Les Serpents d'Afrique Occidentale et Centrale from Jean, Jean-Philippe Chapau. Oh, that's cool. So those of you who don't speak French, it's <laughs> the snakes of Central and Western Africa. Um, Nipper sent me this because he thought I would love it, and I legit do. The entire book's in French. Um, but the pictures and the, the, the gist of the scientific data that's in there is completely, is completely you know, comprehensible. So I mean, here's just like I just opened like the first page and just like the photos of some of the stuff is just in, absolutely incredible. Species, whoops, species you didn't even know existed. Um, let me find some more stuff, and it goes into dentition and scalation and you know the original taxonomic nomenclature from years and years ago and how they've updated over the decades. And wow. even though it, you know it is in French, and and a lot of it, you can you can totally understand what they're driving at. And I'm sure if I really wanted to, I could take pictures and put it in Google Translate and just you know do the whole book if I really wanted to. But the choice sections of certain species, because scientific name is is uniform across the planet, you know. So certain certain species that I just looked up, and you can tell by the numbers, you can tell by the graphs and the grids and everything what's what. But it it even goes into like you know, elaborate drawings of like, you know, the reproductive organs and maps of where things are. And it's just an incredible book, despite it being in a language. And this is actually the first time I've ever got a book it, that is only in another language. So it's like, it's not like I could get the English version, you know? And uh, it's just an awesome, awesome book. If you like African species, especially in some of these countries that, you know, we get imports from and, you, you just you don't even know this stuff exists there you know you know how many times people get you know ball pythons from benin well there's like 40 or 50 different species in just benin that we don't even see ever it's never in the trade or, or in the community or the hobby for that matter so super cool covers all of west africa from you know uh canary islands all the way south to i believe Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, just just an awesome book. So if you're interested in something unique, I'm sure you could find it somewhere on the interwebs. But be warned, the entire book is in French. So <laughs> Very cool. <clears throat> I'm not seeing any range data for those, and it's probably, I don't know that they ever released it because I'm sure if they did, people would be out there trying to find some to smuggle out of of course absolutely of course stupid humans billion all right so my next one was actually so i've been looking more into like older papers and stuff um one, I'm just noticing the stuff that I'm interested in is it seems to just have been studied, you know, like decades ago as opposed to now. Uh, but this was in 94, and this paper follows uh, 
10 years of breeding Maclots. So it actually helped me a lot last year when I, uh, when I bred my Maclots for the first time. And it just goes into a lot of just your, you know, your usual conditioning, uh, uh, you know, it's got good, good pictures to go with it. That's your Fuscus Philip. Oh yeah. Look at the, dude, look at the red and orange in that. Oh yeah. Awesome, man. Dude, I can't wait for mine to get bigger. Oh, it's going to be so I know. I know. We'll, we'll get more of them. Oh yeah. But, uh, you know, just like this kind of stuff, it's basically the, the 10 years of them, you know, breeding and how many eggs they got, fertile, infertile, um, you know, all the usual data that people get. And then, uh, you know, just going into how to, you know, get the babies going and all that uh, should have, they made it seem a lot easier <laughs> in the paper than it ended up being for me. Uh, but still, it's it's a really good, uh, good reference. I looked at it a lot. I'm still looking at it, you know, breeding these guys. Uh, Who wrote it? And it definitely helped a lot. So uh, it's from Literature. Lidiatura Simperium? Serpinium? Uh, it looks like it was probably German. Yeah. Uh, so this is like a translated one. Uh, but yeah. So that was released I think that was the a 90s? 94. And do you find a lot of the information still 94. relevant though? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, and if you get them to breed 30 years ago, you can get them to breed now, you know, it's still, it's still the same animal. It's not like it's a different animal. So that's, uh, that's one thing I've tried to, you know, hone in on is that just because it's an old paper doesn't mean that there's information that's not, you know, valid in there, even if it's so old that, you know, they got, Anteresia and lyases like they used to like they could still have good stuff on those species yeah, yeah. in there um, i just a lot of that older so. stuff sometimes i think gets written off because people think that there's nothing relevant in there you know i of course i'm going to take it back yeah, to exactly. chondros you know the papers that they they wrote on chondros you know 40 years ago i'm probably gonna i'll read but still take it sort of with a grain of salt because of how much things have changed with with how we do those so yeah for sure you got to go through the you know the good and bad with it but I found, because this is literally just a study on actually producing these guys, what is tried and true, and, you know, they did it for a decade to get, you know, eight pages of information. So, you know, they definitely put the work in to see what was going to work and stuff. So this is definitely one that aged well, for sure. A, le so. a legit study. Yeah, so 10 years of breeding Lyasis Maclaudae. Nice. Macklets. Are we still doing that? <laughs> you finally get over that or we never did it. <laughs> Macklets. Uh, you know what? I deserve that by bringing it up. So sorry. <laughs> sorry. You do. It you was do. gone. <laughs> you brought it. Thanks, Billy. Yeah. Uh, God, Burke, are you, Burke, are you wearing a Dunder Mifflin shirt? I am. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. I thought you were earlier. I saw the dinder and I was like, no way. 
Yeah. What's funny is Billy, every time I go over Billy's house, Billy has a Dunder Mifflin shirt. And I keep telling myself I'm going to steal it, but I always forget. <laughs> I have that series on repeat at work. Like it drives the customers, the regulars crazy because it's like all I watch at work is The Office. Oh, I'll just give greatest. it to you if you want it, Phil. You don't have to steal anything. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um, so if anybody knows, I uh, have recently got the monitor itch and uh this book it's a book of australian monitors by uh gunther schmida um it's got some of me of course i opened right up to the kimberly rock look at that but uh dude you got, me, you got me one of Tim's bad it's the, it's the oh, memory of the dude. books yeah oh they're so cool <laughs> yeah i mean it's like just put right i mean so if you're into like setting up the naturalistic, uh, you know, enclosures and stuff, it gives you a good idea what that looks like. Of course, I want to hurt Australia in the worst way. So, you know, taking all this time off to research, because I don't think that when I went there before not having monitors, I didn't appreciate some of the monitors that we saw. And now that, uh, except for the Mertens, they were just badass, but you know, now having them, uh, you get a whole different appreciation when trying to herp for them, you know, so. Do you know um, when you're going to be able to go back there again? Like, is there any signs of them opening up in the next, like, year or so? Or is there any word? Me and Rob were talking about it. I don't think it's going to be till 2023. So that's why we kind of booked America again for 2022. But yeah. who knows? Things could change like that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping. But yeah, great. The thing with this though is you have to go to uh, to to Blurb, um, and they print it out. It's like one of those type of deals, but uh, they print it out. Uh, you know when you when you order it, or you can get a, an elect electronic version of it. They also have a snake one. There's a gecko one. There's a dragon one. Um, so Blurb yeah. is like a, a a U.S. company or no? Yeah. That's okay. like what we used for the magazine. It's a, oh, okay. like a subsidiary of that. We used MagCloud, but it was owned by Blurb. So, but how's yeah. the print quality on it? Is it decent? Oh, it's great, man. Yeah. The pictures are fabulous. I mean, yeah, it's not like uh... I've been watching you, Stevens, and your your Kimberly eggs. Damn it! Oh, the, I'm telling you, yeah. dude, they're they're, oh, they're so cool. I just want so the Aggies cool, and those. Dude. Like that's where I'm drawing the line. Is that's that, me I'll too. get a Kim or two, and okay. I'm good. Okay. I swear I'm good. I don't like I physically don't have the space. I just I'm Katie's gonna go out back one day and Justin's just gonna be like four or five feet in a ditch with a shovel digging. And she's like, What are you doing? He's like, Goldie, Goldie, it's, it's gotta dig the trench. I'm putting in a new badminton net. <laughs> don't ask questions. Yeah, right. I think I think that for me the cool thing, right, is because I focus a lot on Australian stuff and it's been cool that to to sort of have species that are both diurnal and nocturnal so mm -hmm. i sort of have like you know I, whereas opposed if you were just keeping snakes that are all nocturnal you're you know you might not get excitement uh during the day but get a couple monitors a couple geckos you're good to go yeah yeah and i think it's also super cool that you know think about how you would have been if you had you know the Aggies and the kims back when you went you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we've saw. Yeah, I, I talk to uh, Rob about that often. That I regret being so hyper focused on finding a specific 
like just pythons that overlooking you know i have to like relive it i mean i remember yeah. seeing it but like it, it wasn't it wasn't the same as when you found a python i mean how yeah. badass would it be to see strafers in the wild you know doing the threat display i did <laughs> dude like i have these that's exactly have... what i'm talking about like i saw it and it was just there on a stick and we were just like oh that's a cool gecko yeah and like you yeah. know yeah <laughs> you go to take like you got to take a, a whiz in the in the bushes and all of a sudden you get these geckos shooting back at you you know yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah we well i i i id'd a stick that i thought was a blackhead and that's what drove us out of the car and Found this gecko, you know. I do. <laughs> but we're I so want... focused on this blackhead stick. I'm getting that, some uh, of those at some point too. I don't know when, but those those are happening, without a doubt. I'm not going to be like Jake, uh, yeah. where I want everything. I just want my my Strophorus and the Kims. Is there a specific species you want, Justin? I don't know yet. I know there's only a yeah, handful of them in the U.S., so I gotta I gotta find yeah. the right people. I know Justin Meeker breeds them. Um, I know Dustin Gron has, I think, a Williams Eye. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. I'm not entirely sure yet. But they are just. They're too damn cool, you know. And if, and from what I've heard, they're they're really easy to keep. They're not difficult at all. So. And now that I'm getting, awesome I feel like I've been seeing them more often. Yeah. What's that? I've been seeing them, like the past year or so. I've been seeing them more often at shows and stuff. Yeah. You know, so they're definitely good, getting out there. Good handful of them at Daytona. And yeah. you got and Eric, you got your Ordura from uh, from Gron, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they're cool too. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's weird how I've switched back to where I was in the beginning of when I was a little kid. How everything sort of fascinated me. Then I went through where you're super hyper focused, and then sort of swing back back around again. I feel like I everyone kind of goes through that at some point or another, though. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's like it's like when you're young and you go through that party phase, and then as you get older, you just you know what you like and what you want to do on the weekends. Yeah, you just. Yeah, Miguel talks about those emerald tree skinks. My dad's bred them twice already. Nice. Um, yeah. He has those this big ones. group of them. It's pretty cool. Those ones <laughs> with a really long tail, right? Well, they're they're just basically like this emerald green skink that's maybe about that long. Okay, I'm thinking of something different. Yeah, there's another emerald lizard I'm thinking of where it's it's body is like this big but the tail makes it almost three feet long oh no 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 okay don't listen to casey in the chat either he's bitter right now yeah casey's got to get glass half full i tried to get him to hop in he won't do it <laughs> oh really <laughs> he said he doesn't have his laptop so. okay uh, okay <laughs> but he's somehow in the chat weird Streamyard right. works with a phone mm -hmm. cannon <laughs> not fooling anybody uh, so is it, is it my turn up? is back to smitty i think i think it's smitty yeah all yeah. right so this is a paper that i've actually referenced a handful of times now that i have them and it was one that billy sent and it hey. is the natural history and captive care of the dione's rat snake nice very yeah, cool that's a good one I was actually yeah, going to ask yeah. you, is it is it Dion's or is it Dione's? How is it supposed to be? Because it's, I not, looked it it's up, not scientific. I, it's like a guy's I, name, right? It's it's like some Greek 
mythology sort of deal. Um, Stone calls them Dions. I call them Dions. I've looked it up a few times on YouTube to see how people are pronouncing it, and it sounds like it's fairly interchangeable between those two. Okay. Um, but this, and yeah, there's another paper on Bimaculata that, that Billy sent me, and I've referenced those, at least the breeding section, multiple times to see, because they have to get cold to breed. Like, you have to get them down into the 50s for a consistent period of time to get anything to happen with them. Um, so I've I've read through this and the other one a handful of times just to make sure I'm getting things right. And hopefully they'll go. I don't, as squirrely as the weather's been, I'm... I'm hopeful, but I'm not expecting them to happen. But and dude, look at those enclosures. Can you go back up to them real quick? Yeah. <clears throat> dude, not what I was expecting. Super cool. Dude, the range on these things is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we're talking literally from like as far as Eurasia goes, that whole plot of land. You're talking about a band that goes literally from one side to the other and then into China. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, There's so many localities of them, it's insane. It's like an Asian price eye. Most always calls them the uh, Asian corn snakes, right? Probably. I mean, there's so much variability in them, too. I mean, there's there's different morphs. There's all black ones. There's stripes. There's reds. There's... Uh, yeah, see, there's a moss duck. Which wow. I'm assuming is some sort of Russian area. Um, yeah, they're awesome little snakes, though. And they're really interesting because they, they have a really long gestation period, and then they drop their eggs, and their eggs hatch after, like, not even a month. So they hold on to their eggs forever, and then they drop them, and then they hatch. So. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're cool snakes, man. I'm hoping I can get some more out of them. That that Beijing female I have that I got from from Zach is I think she's pretty old because I lost the Siberian female randomly. I remember y'all talking about that, uh, and I think she was just they were old snakes, and I think it was just her time. So, um, yeah. So this Beijing female, I'm sure she's she's probably just as up there in age. So I'm hoping I can get a clutch out of her, or you know, two before her time comes too, and keep them going. I have the, the lone baby that Zach hatched. He sent that to me as well. And that one's growing like a freaking weed. So those are going to be fun. I'm really excited about the bimaculata in particular, just because those are smaller and they're, I don't know. I find those to be a little more interesting, but they're all cool. You know, they're, they're, they're neat snakes. How, how big are yours? Uh, so my female, uh, Dion's is probably about the size of an adult corn maybe a little shorter a little stumpier um the males are about half that size or he's about half the size of her and then the bimaculata the female is probably about the same size as the male dions so like 15 inches or so um yeah yeah maybe 20 inches maybe give or take uh like about about uh, as thick as your thumb yeah yeah. yeah that's a cool that's a cool species man you know just watching people keep them in relatively easy easy enclosures you know what i mean it's not mm -hmm. something because of the size i feel like it's just relatively uh, a convenient species if that makes sense they'd be a fun one to keep in sort of a, a if you did something that sort of mimicked their 
their habitat that sort of temperate forest kind of deal like you saw in some of the pictures with like pine needles and stuff i may at some point talk to jen about getting a, another cage and doing that um that would yeah, that would just be cool so even if you did like like a large cambro type rack and you just had like a rack of mini mm -hmm. mergers, you know yeah that would be cool But those bimaculata, like I said, are, they're about half the size of the of the dions, and apparently they've they're proven breeders according to to Loafman. So, which is surprising because they look small. And I was like, "Are you sure these are as old as you told me they were?" He's he said, "Yeah." He's like, "They're they're good to go." So, we'll see. Very cool, man. Very cool. So I'm up. You're up. All You're right. Up. So I, I think we've covered this book before, but I've been putting off buying it just because just because like so many books that are like, you know, you prioritize and I'm, and I knew it was a sign. It was an omen. Anna Marie and I went to Barnes and Noble. Right. And they never really have good her books like they just don't it's usually like the field guide yeah field guide the, the laminated pamphlet you know or it's it's the coffee table book that's like snakes of the world and it has you know a blood python on the top and that's about it um but i was just cruising through like like natural history type books and stuff and this literally was like half sticking out and i was like what is that and i just saw a little bit of the cover and i pulled it out it was a sign it was an omen the field herping guide from Mike Bingleton and Josh Holbrook. It's a good book. I have it. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> there it is. I knew it was a sign. I wish I had it. I'll just, <laughs> just put it on. <laughs> it, dude, and like two guys that know their shit wrote a conveniently sized, easy read, you know, and I found it at Barnes and Noble. And like that just that just made it, you know, and it, it, it covers every aspect of field herping. I mean, road cruising and flipping tin and wading through creeks and moon cycles. Moon, yeah. Moon cycles, <laughs> everything. It's just phenomenal. I mean, you know, that's the, uh, Phil, that's the perfect book. If you are sort of, you hear a lot of people talk about field herping, but one of the things that always stopped me from doing it is, not knowing where to go, you know, yeah. how do you find the spots, you know, like, cause yeah. it just seemed like if you don't have a sort of a plan together, you're just kind of wandering aimlessly. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's a great way of putting it. Cause like, it made me think as I like started flipping through the book, like in Barnes and Noble, I was thinking to myself, what did I do 20 years ago? You know, like, did yeah. I, like there was, I didn't have a book, you know, I didn't have a naturalist, you know what I mean? And, right. I think about how many times I just went out to see what would be out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like field herpers don't really share their spots for multitude right. of reasons. Right. And, you know, it's sort of a lot of secretive stuff and, you know, not now it's different, I guess, with YouTube videos and stuff, but like you can, you don't have to travel far, you know, I mean, you can just go in your own backyard and find some cool stuff and yeah, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, and I mean, everything from, like you said, moon phases and, you know, times of the year to, I just flipped through this one, successfully navigating encounters with law enforcement. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Just, like don't trespass, 
read your wildlife management area brochures when you get them from you know the ranger check station you know and just just enjoy nature i love it so yeah. the, the field mm-hmm. herping guide finding amphibians and reptiles in the wild great book nice sorry i stole that one from you eric no worries <laughs> All right, I'm back up. All right, so my next one is, I forget if I've talked about this one before or not, Um, but it is the Barker's write-up. I'm trying to see the date. Back in 96 on the uh, Lesser Sundas pythons, Tim Timor pythons, whatever you want to call them. That's a good one. No, 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 no. Billy Hunt, there is only one name. They are the Lesser Sunda Python. I know, but to reach a further audience, you know, so they know what we're talking about. Uh, so it's a pretty short paper. Uh, it's only like six pages, five pages, but uh, it goes into, you know, the taxonomic history, uh, where they're found, you know, obviously in Lesser Sunda, little thing on, uh, their husbandry, like going back and talking a little bit about when they would come in in the 60s and kind of what they would do. Um, but this basically just, they're talking about, you know, early to mid 90s, they got a group of them in, uh, how they kept them, and then when they bred them, and they were actually successful, you know, a little baby tipping out of the egg there. Um, you know, and they just have all the, all the breeding information and and all that so i'm definitely looking at this paper a lot since i have the uh the lesser sundas now and hoping to be successful with them um but it's just so cool to have you know a python with there's not too much out there on them and like i look high and low for information on these guys and this is pretty much the best i've come up with like i (laughs) I mean, all, even all the books, like there's just like a page. It's like, hey, they, they're, you know, distributed here. Here's where they're found. And uh, good luck, you know, pretty much yeah. outside of that. So uh, I was really happy when I came across this, but definitely wish there was more out there on them. But uh, sure in time. But yeah, definitely. If you're into these at all, this is something you definitely have to have. Dan, I have not but I will have to hunt that one down. Okay. Did you ever come? I was unaware that was a book. So, um, I guess, I guess my next one, I'll follow Phil somewhat. Um, so after reading the field herping guide, I went and found this book amphibians and reptiles of Pennsylvania in the Northeast. Nice with uh which is it's a pretty thick and it does a lot of like natural history and distribution maps and all kinds of stuff of um just different species and it pretty much goes down like new jersey maryland um you know that kind of uh uh, range but um yeah there's some cool you know timber rattlesnakes are one of my favorites up here but uh we have some cool stuff eastern hognose um yeah, it's a cool book. Uh, I got it on Amazon. So, 
appreciating your backyard reptiles. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. Especially like if you live in the megalopolis and you think, well, I'm in an urban environment. What am I going to find? Like there's stuff there and it's yeah. typically a short drive away, you know? Yeah. Like uh, we have a population of water, water snakes, not too far from here. Um, you know, there's black rat snakes out back, um, you know, but uh, I, I, I think it's, it's cool because when they talk to natural history, when you actually live in the place that they're talking about, you can like really connect it, you know? So, I mean, weather wise and, you know, Oh yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And I think it's cool too watching the historical spots either disappear or increase. So like you take a book like that yeah. and you, you add it with Google earth and you add it with iNaturalist. And now you can really get an idea of where some of these things are and where some of these things used to be where some of these things might be, you know? Right. I think, I think books like that are a super great resource. Like I have several books like that. that are just Florida. And mm -hmm. a lot of it's the same cookie cutter stuff, you know, but there's always going to be something in there that might help you in one way or another. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They talk a lot about the pine barrens in there, you know, places like that. Oh yeah. Smitty, you're up. I got nothing. You got nothing. What about the bimaculata? Well, I wasn't sure if that counted since I pretty much talked about it. But yeah, throw it throw up. Throw it up there. Throw it up, man. Pictures, on, man. Let me, yeah. Goodness let me gracious. It. You talk it up and then you don't. don't uh, like fill <laughs> with the picture. All right. Oh, All right. Stand by. What's funny is while he, well, Justin tries to find that, uh, I was expecting, I was expecting Burke to have a bunch of books. I was expecting Billy to have a bunch of papers and I only pulled out three books, you know, to, to do this. And I actually pulled one paper too, as a, as a Hail Mary. Um, <laughs> so if I got to run to the house and get more books, I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got plenty. <laughs> Billy, how were uh, the pairings that uh, we did when Casey and I were there? So I am in the uh, panic mode of nothing's going to produce this year phase of the <laughs> season right now. Okay. I'm in that phase. Um, the OMAX special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Usually by now, like, I'm already seeing stuff, but since I was kind of out, you know, for a little bit, I'm not as in tune with everything, so maybe it's just me. Like, I'm kind of like, I'm sure everything's fine. Everything's like, I've seen locks, I've seen all that stuff. I'm just, I'm probably just freaking myself out for no reason. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think the Novas are, are doing good stuff. So nice. Good. That's always a good thing. My, nice. uh, my Mel Nova is, thinks he's a jag and he bites me at least three times every time I take him out. <laughs> So. Dude, what? What is? <laughs> I don't know what you do to your snakes, man. He's he's no beginnings don't bite. I know, man. That's <laughs> the crazy part. Like the girl is the chillest carpet I've ever had, but the boy, 
he just assumes I'm giving him food. I mean, I do feed him a lot. So like maybe that's it, but he just assumes if it's warm and it's in my tub, I'm going to consume it. You know, did you stuff him in a bag forcefully? No, like I did No, no, I didn't. I did not do that. <laughs> One time. Jeez. He, yeah. Phil is, is like the roughest like guy I've ever seen, like putting a snake into a bag. I'm like, of course the thing doesn't like you. Dude, I'd hate you too. I was, <laughs> did that to I was super gentle in Tampa. KJ held the bag. I placed the carpets in the bag. Like it, I was super chill with your animals, bro. Yeah. And I saw you like shaking and trembling because you just wanted to throw them in there and grab them by well, the neck. Well, no, but, but, but no, come on, man. Billy Hunt gives me the old, I was like, Hey man, is this Jag cool? He's like a little. And it's like, okay, now I got to bag this thing. No hook, no tools, no no hemostats, no alligator clips, nothing that I'm used to because that's my life. And now I just have to very gently cascade the snake into the bag that KJ's holding. And KJ already knows he's going to get bit, you know, poor guy. <laughs> I got a venomous question for you real quick, Phil. Is it yeah. hard to transition between the two? Like I'm just th- sitting there listening to Billy say about you know, and you say putting it in a bag and not having a hook and all this stuff. Is it like, it's like you're always thinking like hook and equipment and safety and all that. Yeah. I, um, I burn it in my mind, man. And it's, it's just, so I'm very, very good about separating racks and separating enclosures and nothing is near each other. And obviously all the venomous stuff is locked, but yeah, if I'm taking a carpet python out of a out of an enclosure and putting it in a bag, I'm just going to hold the bag open and put it in and call it a day, you know, make sure I don't squish his tail or his head or whatever. And uh, screw you, Casey Cannon. And, uh, but venomous is completely different because depending on the species, I may, I, I'm, all right, if I'm going to bag, let's say, a medium-sized rattlesnake, I'm going to have three bags ready to go because if one bagging scenario doesn't work, I have the other one on standby. So, for example, a medium-sized rattlesnake, I'll get a Rubbermaid trash can and I'll use alligator clips and I'll clip the bag to the rim of the trash can and hope that gravity works in my favor. And I'll place the rattlesnake in the bag with hooks and then use hemostats to grab the bag, fold it over, undo the alligator clips, roll the bag, thin it out, and then add my zip ties or tape or whatever I'm using. Um, If that doesn't work, let's say the, the snake comes out of the bag, I'll have another bag on hemostats position on the floor and I'll try and coax the snake into the, along the floor, along like a, a linear line. And then once the snake's head goes in, then I use a snake hook to kind of close off the bag and I'll stand on the hook or I'll kneel on the hook, pull the bag tight and twist and then add my zip ties or whatever I'm doing. So I usually have two or three different modes of containment for the one snake that I'm bagging, assuming that it's just not going to go the way I want it to. So... Yes, it, it feels really good when I can just pick up a carpet python and put it in the bag. <laughs> or spike it into the bag. <laughs> I don't spike snakes, man. Jeez. Man. Oh, I'm not man. the girl from Finding Nemo. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. I'll tell you what, though. Like, there are certain snakes that I don't usually bag. Like, uh, like Obviously, we have containment vessels for when we're cleaning cages. Some snakes I'll just hold. Some snakes I'll put them around my neck. Obviously, nothing venomous. Um, but, like, the water pythons, they're not used to being in a bag. Like, I'll just usually, like, throw one over my shoulder while I'm cleaning out their tub. 
so one day I, I just wasn't feeling it. So I put him in a bag and you literally watch the snake look at me like, what are you doing? Why, why am I in this bag? Like, why would you, why would you do this to me? Why would you, why would you put me in this bag? Like I felt so bad for them because I baby the shit out of them. So yeah, can't do that with cobras and vipers. No. Well, speaking of Phil, like having a different outlook on stuff, like seeing Phil work with hooks is like, he's on another level. Like he's thinking about stuff I've, I've never even thought of. Like I, I didn't have any, training or anything like that it's just oh i can use a hook it'll you know help them not think yeah. of feeding them you know whatever phil i don't know if you remember this phil you were messing with the ridley eye dorothy and, and he uh <laughs> he takes him out he's got him on a hook and then like he had his watch on and the snake wrapped its tail around his wrist and then kind of in his watch and as he's holding you know the snake and the hook he's just like yeah, if this was venomous, I'd have my watch off. I would never let it wrap my tail, like wrap its tail around me, any of that stuff. And I'm sitting there like, this is all stuff I've never thought of. I'm like, hey, whatever. If it wraps its tail around me, it's fine. Like, worst case scenario, it poops on me, you know? Right. But right. like seeing him work with, you know, anything or with the hook and how he holds things, how he approaches things, it's it's really interesting. So yeah. he he definitely has a different approach to everything so well thank you billy i appreciate that it's it's interesting yeah, man, i give you shit but i know i know it's it's interesting when it going back to like what eric asked me i almost have a plan for every i have a plan for what i'd like to do with the hooks and then when i just have the snake <laughs> yeah nope, not going there when i when i have a snake that i don't need a hook I almost like don't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, you, your your brain is so. Yeah, you can't get bit, so you're yeah, always in that exactly. mindset, even when yeah. you're holding stuff. That and I, and I think matter. That, you know, we always tell people when they're first starting venomous stuff is to you know buy two snake hooks, get like a thirty and a forty, preferably get heavier ones because if you can use a horrible steel, you know import hook that's not of craftsmanship and you can work with stuff with that once you get like a really nice venom life gear aluminum you're going to be great you know because the weight distribution is completely different the balance is completely different um it's like training with a, a really heavy sword and then you get a katana like you know what i mean like you'll be that much better and right. we always tell people pick up random stuff around the house you know pick up your couch cushions pick up your try try and pick up your tv remote control I'm like, I always tell them, that's that's the ultimate test. If you can pick up your TV remote control with a snake hook, you're in business. Now, don't get me wrong. There's many, many times where I cannot do it, but it's it's just to get your mind to think differently in that regard. And you can't use your hands. So the hooks have to be an extension of you, you know? It just takes it just takes practice and thinking outside the box. So it's not Jedi magic. But <laughs> twin spot rat snakes of China. Yeah. Uh, this is another paper that Billy sent me because he just he knows he knows me all too well. A little bit. And if my tab would uh, cooperate and I could bring this up, that would be lovely. Come on. Are you kidding me? There we go. All right. 
So yeah, this is just a, a paper that talks about the bimaculata uh, in particular and how they're differentiated from the uh, dions and talks about the different variations in them because they do look very similar. I think the, a lot of papers and stuff you read will say that the ones that come in the country, you know, bimaculata and, and dione get mixed up a lot because they do look very similar and they are very closely related, uh, but there is a genetic difference uh, there's a different number of chromosomes in the bimaculata compared to the dions. But I like this because it talks about the three forms that you see them in. And then it shows you those three forms. So like that's the blotched phase. This is like the blotched and striped. And then this is the striped. Um, the ones I have are, are cool. striped. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Very cool. Just breaks down temperament, diet, uh, brumation, all that good stuff, which that's what I've been referencing the most and coming back to this paper and reading to make sure I got everything right. Um, you know, talks about 50 to 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Loafman himself told me, you know, they got to get cold, cold, uh, eight, 12 weeks. So mine are still in brumation. I, I warmed everything up, uh, everything else up, but left the Elafe stuff down still. And I'll, I'll bring them up next month. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm particularly excited about the bimaculata. I got those ones from underground a couple, couple months ago that ended poorly. Uh, so I'm glad I have some more and that I can hopefully produce my own. So, yeah, man, that, uh, that first picture with the map on the cover of the page, yeah, that picture is great. Like I love maps. I mean, I'm obviously a map junkie. We're, we're locality fanatics as reptile people, but it's crazy because nobody realizes how vast China is. Yeah. Like yeah. that green section yeah. is like the width of Texas. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Right. Well, it's, awesome. it's interesting too. Cause like this is bimaculata and then you have dions pretty much all the way up to Beijing into like Siberia. So, you know, they, there is, I think there's a little bit of overlap in the two ranges. And I think there is some documentation of some intergrades, but, they are. They can be tough to to differentiate between one another. Is there any like tall tale signs? Like if you manage to get one in hand, that you could really be like, this is this and that's that. Uh, the head pattern, like it says here, so it says in bimaculata, the head pattern is a V shape with pointed ends, usually very regular, uh, and then the dions is usually like a U or W shape that wides at the neck. It's one of those things where you do kind of have to you have to see a lot of them just to get the eye for it, but. They are uh, yeah. very similar looking, but they are different, but closely related. Awesome. Go, go down to the next set of pictures, please, Minnie. Right there. That color scheme is incredible, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, not even looking at the pattern or anything, just the... Yeah, see, that's that W they're talking about with the head stamp, too. And it, it has that... It looks like Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? <laughs> But here it talks That's about cool. the, the chromosome difference too. So bimaculata have uh, 34 and dions have 36. Very cool. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff, man. I hope you get, uh, you're success successful with him. Yeah. Did you wind up pulling them in from the garage or no? Yeah, I did. Cause it's been getting to, to freezing and slightly below and I'm sure they can handle it, but I just didn't want to, I put them in my, my closet, which stays pretty cool still. So it's just gotten so cool that I, I, I don't, 
I, I'd rather them not go and me not have to worry about, you know, hurting them right. or killing them. Uh, and if anything, the clause is more of like an early warm back up, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. But this is some pictures of like habitat. Which that's surprising because if you listen, so Dr. Messenger was actually on another podcast not that long ago and he talked about how similar a lot of these areas in China are to like North Carolina, you know, in terms of, of temperatures and habitat and overall climate. Um, I just thought that was interesting. And that's why China's, in my opinion, China is a severely underrated place in the world for herpetofauna. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's at the top of my list, yeah, and I would love to get out there eventually and hopefully not get kidnapped by communists. <laughs> I like the uh, I wonder if David Eye out there, too. Yeah, yeah, those are cool. Yeah, those are really awesome. Those are the like closest relative to the uh, Coronata. They're like this weird in-between. That's cool. I didn't know that. Come on, mouse. Jesus, this thing's killing me. Yeah, if you look at them, like the eyes are very similar, the head structure is very similar. Um, they're just they're like I said, this odd kind of like how how the lesser sundas are are sort of the the missing link between retics and scrubs. I feel like that's a similar thing with the the David eye. Cool. Yeah, good stuff, man. Yeah, very, very cool. So I grabbed that paper. Um, my downloaded copy, I can't get it. It's for whatever reason, it's not uploading from my Google Drive. So I went on to archive.org. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with archive.org, uh, if it's a paid paper, you can, you can buy it or request it. Um, but it has a ton of really old stuff. And basically when museums and colleges and things of that sort have old historical documents that are either falling apart or the binding on the literature is, is degrading, they'll scan them professionally and put them up for free on, on archive. And I found so much stuff on archive. I mean, I have hundreds of things downloaded, but this particular paper I keep coming back to over and over and over again. I know I brought it up on, on this show as well as many other shows before. Um, let me try and get the share up. So this is reproductive, excuse me, reproductive and dietary biology of Nephros and Underwoodosaurus in Western Australia. So this paper is 1990. Uh, by the way, year 1990. And it is a complete, forgive the highlighted things. I, I used the word nephros to find it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The It covers everything that you would ever think of in terms of what knobtail geckos are eating in the wild and when and what they're breeding. So it goes in depth into testicular development and testicular, you know, sperm production as well as you know ovarian follicle development in terms of the months the days and then it gives you graphs for everything so granted it's very difficult to translate this into our you know northern hemisphere world but i mean let me just 
try and zoom in on one of these graphs real quick. Um, it gives you, I don't know if you guys can see that, but like here's Stellatus, Lewisimus, Wheeleri. Obviously, this is before Wheeleri and Synctus, uh, Wheeleri, Wheeleri, and Wheeleri Synctus were split up as their own species, but you know, it gives That's you cool. <clears throat> months, you know, and it's just, it's absolutely incredible. And then, whoa, sorry, too much. Um, and then it goes into the diet. And I think they used like 1,200 specimens to make this paper, which it, it's kind of morbid. But at the same time, like, this is for science, you know. Oh, oh, crap. I'm turning pages. Hold on. There we go. So here we see the stomach contents of multiple nephros species. So Levisimus, Lavis, Stellatus, Vertebralis, Wheeleri, and uh, Underbrosaurus Milli. And these are basically, of all the specimens that they had, these, like, 10 Levisimus had centipedes, 10 had scorpions, 15 had spiders. And it, it, it's crazy, you know, to think what these wow. are eating. You know, stomachs with food, stomachs yeah. examined. <clears throat> and without going too crazy the majority of the stuff is arachnids and different species of cockroach um but you'll also see in further in the paper they go into cannibalism and you know which geckos are eating other geckos whether it be uh detella species or even other nephros so wow. super super cool paper um i pulled a lot of information out of this thing let me try and zoom out to see if we have any more graphs. Uh, and it's not that long of a paper, so it's it's relatively it's twenty seven pages in total, but a crapload of good good information and good numbers. You know, just that <laughs> feeding chart alone cool. is yeah, is man. worth it. Yeah. You know? And like here you have. <clears throat> Size of gravid and adult nephros species in Underwatersaurus and the maximum and mean clutch volumes and sexual dimorphism and maturity. Like, it doesn't get much more vivid and articulated than that. You know, the smallest individual re recorded and the month of capture was Asper and Levisimus. Like, that, I mean, yes, the data's old, but it's fantastic data. So... If That's awesome. There's a lot of cool stuff on archive.org and just this paper. I've, I've just used this paper so much for Knobtail stuff. So figured I'd show it off. Yeah, just a just another example that an old paper still has valid information. Yeah, man. Dude, just like the the Sunda paper and the Maclots paper. Like, yeah. You have to send me a copy of that, Phil. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you the link to the. If I can't get mine to upload, it may have got corrupt or whatever because it was on the Google Drive. But we'll uh, gotcha. I'll definitely. I'll get it to you and I'll get it to Nipper. Are you up, Billy? Billy is hey. up. All right. So <clears throat> I've already talked about the like the information that I had. Uh, with carpets before the book came out. Um, I've talked about the Wilbird uh, propagating carpet pythons. That thing's amazing. Uh, Caponettos uh, right up on them. One that I honestly 
I forgot about, but it was one I looked at just as much, um, is Will Leary's paper or uh, write-up that he did on stuff. So his rediscovery, the uh, nice carpet python. Yeah, an older one. Um, so what's funny is I actually printed out so much stuff, I didn't have any more black ink, so I had to do this whole one in orange. <laughs> but... Uh, because I think I, I think it was like 2006 when I printed this out, so I was, I was trying not to get in awesome. trouble for wasting all the ink in like a day. <laughs> but uh, basically, this this thing like it's some of the information is is a little dated, but um, you know it talks about the different subspecies that we recognized back then. Uh, I think at one point it says tigers are co-dominant. Yeah, um, you know, which is you know, it's funny looking back and you know before we realized how it worked and stuff, but it just goes into uh, oh there, it's, uh, yeah, maybe you can, probably can't with the glare, but it says you know oh, it's co-dominant, but um, you know, it's just it's got a lot of good information and uh, it was basically part of between this Will Birds write-up and uh, Caffinetto's write-up. Like, those were, at least to me, the the Bibles before the Bibles came out, if you will. Me too. Yep. Yeah. You know, I think yeah, we all, we all, all kind of lived the same life <laughs> during that time period with the information we had. Um, but, I mean, it just, he went very in-depth into, you know, just basic stuff that, uh, you know, maybe a new keeper wouldn't, think about like just right here uh he has a whole paragraph on um you know say you get a snake and you don't have a cage but you have a you know a 10 gallon tank laying around like it wasn't so much um i don't know it wasn't so much like oh you should have it was just cool seeing somebody that's being like hey it's okay to put them in a 10 gallon tank until you get what you need right. to you know like right. they're gonna be fine it's not you know, shame on you. You should have, you know, this, that, and that. Like, it it was written on a more realistic basis than, you know, some stuff can come across. So it definitely made, uh, you know, digesting the information a lot easier and, uh, you know, just getting into that community as a whole, you know, it kind of helped be more comfortable than, you know, because some stuff can be a little preachy and this definitely wasn't that, so. And just some of the pictures that he has too, in here, like Eric, I'm sure you remember a lot of them, but like that IJ, oh, that pop one? yeah, yeah. So I still say IJ. Sorry, IJ. Uh, yeah. Old habits die hard, right? I have uh, uh, animals from that from that snake. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> I re I gotta get up there and see what you're hiding, man, because I. I know you're hiding something. And then that one, the GQ stuff. Uh, yeah, I remember that yeah. picture. Yeah, you pro probably have that snake, Eric. I'm assuming. <laughs> well, I have no, I but I do have the uh, the GQ M pen stuff came from that, you know. So yeah, oh, I got that. Yeah. And of course the the black and white integrated mm -hmm. diamond. Billy, I have to send you, there's a link I have, right? And it's all the pictures from his website. 
it's like yes, this please. website that's out then it's like so many ij so much ij stuff it's, it's, it's pretty cool so real quick so that was that one i just figured i'd throw this one out because i don't i honestly don't know if it's still out there or not but i like I tried to get every bit of information I could about carpet pythons before I got my first one. And uh, actually, a rare I actually had the date on this. it. Yeah, what a freak. Yeah, right? <laughs> I actually uh, printed this one in April of 06, but it was uh, Justin's write-up oh, yeah. on his website. Yeah. Where uh, he, ha- he talked about carpet, the... Right? Uh, yeah. He talked about the... Um, the hide boxes he had where it was like plywood and it had the different levels like just uh, below the basking spot so they could pick where they wanted to be and all that like you know just stuff like that always stuck out to me but um yeah i (laughs) i guess i've always been a information nerd if i got into something and uh i like to think i have everything on carpets but you know who knows at this point but is there ever yeah. such a thing as too much data though i don't think so yeah. i mean i i got plenty of binder space so <laughs> definitely fill it up but yeah well it's it's cool to know that i wasn't the only one that was printing out website articles and stuff <laughs> no oh, no <laughs> no i yeah i got all that stuff and <laughs> Like I was telling you, I have, like, I had to do it in different color, <laughs> in different colors because yeah. I couldn't do it all in black, you know? So it's everything I could find. Well, yeah, that's also, that's a, that's a trick that Billy, I picked up from Billy was like, if you find a website or something with good information on it, like copy that information and save it in a document or something in case that website disappears. 100%. Yeah. Like I did that with the ganyasuma.org stuff. I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon, but I have it all. Yeah, that's, that's. That's what this whole binder is, is all the Ganyasoma.org stuff because of that. Because that information was completely lost for like almost 10 years before they, you know, decided Mm -hmm. to start that website and stuff. So um, very fortunate we got that information back because the stuff that Freight, you know, put out for his thesis was incredible, like from establishing imports, medicating them, breeding them, how he kept them, the different ways he tried stuff, you know, making the hybrids, everything yeah. he did, you know, it was you, did definitely you, before you, it's time for that species. You should have invested in, in ink, printer ink stock. <laughs> yes, I've definitely spent <laughs> a good amount on that. It's worth every drop. Oh, yeah. I still need to get that Old World Rats book. If that copy is Dude. still still online over in Sweden or Germany or whatever, I need to grab it. Oh, yeah, geez. there it is. There it is. Bobby Pebble sent it to me. Yeah. It's nice to have friends in low places. Yeah. Um, My book is this, Dragon Traders. Yeah. I, I love there the history go. of the Great hobby. Book. This book is awesome. Um, you know, I, I I highlighted some parts that apply to us. There he goes, the Okatee, mm-hmm. uh, South Carolina, Jasper County. Um, 
you know, the Philadelphia Reptile Exchange with uh, Molt, where that was up in Jenkintown, which is literally like 15 minutes from me. Used to be down the street from Owen and all. That book was so area. thorough. It was really impressive how much Birder put into that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. The National Breeders Expo, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Jungle Carpet from Lasik. Uh, it's just full of so much cool stuff, you know, all different reptiles, everything you can imagine. Um, it's just a great book. Like I can only imagine what corners, like dust-covered corners of the internet and, and other literature he had to dig through to get some of that information. Because, I mean, we're talking, what is it? it starts out in like, what, the like late 1800s or something like that? It goes yeah. far back, like beginning, yeah. beginning. Could you imagine? Could, could you imagine being a herper back then? And like, when, when people yeah. were going to the Okatee Hunt Club, hell yeah, man, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, like, imagine being back then. Where like we get shunned now, and it's it's fairly common to have a pet reptile. But back then, man, like, yeah, buy an alligator for five cents and get it mailed to you. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Pony Express. <laughs> Just so much cool stuff. Mm -hmm. So much cool stuff. But that's a great book. Well, it was really cool, too, to read that. And then when we were out in Texas, you know, see a lot of the same places and like my area yeah. with corn snakes and the history behind it and stuff. I just, I, I find that stuff just really cool. It's really interesting. Yeah. I was talking to Phil last night about the Everglades because I stumbled upon this video of this guy herping the Everglades. And I was asking him if it was you know, similar to where he goes or similar to the type of thing, you know, like if you see Texas, you see the cuts, you automatically yeah. know, like, Oh, I was, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it just, it, it, for me, it like, if you can visualize it and see it and then you hear about it, it means more. So it like mm -hmm. connects, it connects the dots for me. So like to, to hear them talk about that and then hear you talking about, you know, Jasper County right by your house or whatever, you can go there and, I don't know. Just in, me and Jake cool have big plans to go cruise out there when it starts warming up. So. That'll be awesome. Yeah, that'll be awesome. So. Cool. Um. So I don't even know where I found this. It was in a folder in my Google Drive. It is like a brief paper on treating respiratory disease in snakes. Very interesting. Um, from a veterinary conference in 2012. Um, just Does talks about different viruses at all or no? Um, I don't know that it does. I think it's mostly talks about parasites and, um, they, they call it pneumonia in this, uh, but it talks about, you know, rehydrating the snake and isotonic fluids and, um vitamin a and c for the mucous mem membranes and therapeutic doses can be easily administered with rehydration fluids um i don't know yeah i don't like i said i don't know where it came from i just had a folder that said papers and this was the only thing that was in it i don't remember who sent it to me or where it came from but it's pretty uh it's pretty good i mean just brief like i said three pages but yeah it gives you just the goods it just talks about interesting stuff like this one. It says products containing ginseng and echinacea are frequently used in the pigeon racing industry and are claimed to be beneficial in boosting the patient's immunity. You know, there's just stuff that you don't think of vitamin A and C or something that we don't really 
put a lot of thought of, and especially in herps. But yeah, um, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. Thought it was interesting. Very cool. Yeah, it's a good one, man. Um, and then, awesome. of course, I'm going to be that guy, and this will be the last one I have, but the mice cutting paper that no longer exists, but I uh, somehow I was, I saved it. I was hoping you would actually show it. I saved it. Good. good. <laughs> so these are some of the figures from it that shows. So these uh, the gold bars here, and these colored lines are the animals that got cuts on the mice. This is from a sample size of corn snakes. I don't remember the exact size of the sample. It's in the paper. I have to actually read it. Um, but these are the animals that didn't get cuts in this red line here. Well, we can't oh. see it, bro. Oh. Whoops. Let me switch it. I love talking to myself and showing myself pictures. Yeah, so. Oh, nice. Red line, they got no cuts. These are the these these other three lines. They got varying degrees of cuts. So some got three, some got four. You see that right here. Um, no wow. cuts, two cuts, three cuts, four cuts. And it, I mean, the sample size was small, but uh, here we go. Yeah. So group one was four superficial perforations over the dorsum. Group two was two perforations, one superficial, one deep extending into the thorax. Group three was two superficial perforations over dorsum. Number four was the control with no perforations at all. And this talks about the <clears throat> weight gain over time. Um, total weight gain in percentage. So group one saw an increase of 329%. Group two was 318. Group three was 305. And then group four was 203. Um, and then it talks about length gain. There's about a 20% increase from 141% in group four to 163% in group one for those that are listening and not seeing it. Uh, and then in far weight gain, this was interesting too, because group four, they saw a gain of 0.45 grams and then group one saw 1.04 grams. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it was a small sample size and that was kind of some people's main sort of thing when I talked about it, you know, they were like, it's not a very big size, but I think the, the numbers in the, in the charts really, yeah, that's, that's such a dramatic difference between at least the, the group with the control group and everything else. It's kind of hard to, to argue that too. You know, this yeah. is just, this is a showing the number of feedings and the weight gain over, over that period of time. And it's wow. uh, corn snakes, right? Yeah, yeah, this is corn snakes. And do they mention how big the sample size was or no? I mean, just out of curiosity. Let's see. And I don't know why she why it got deleted. I don't know if she maybe just deleted that Google account or something. Um, but I saved the text of it, so this had the the different charts and stuff in it. Um, okay, whatever Google. Materials and methods, total of 32 corn snake hatchlings from four clutches were enrolled in the feeding trial. All right, so it's not that small. Right, it's not It's not yeah. massive. It's not two snakes either, you know? Yeah. It says members from each clutch were randomly assigned to four groups to minimize weight gain differences caused by variable genetic influences between the clutches. Um, total of eight hatchlings containing members from all four clutches were assigned to each group. 
All hatchlings were housed under identical conditions in individual cages and provided with absorbent paper bedding with high water dish and even temperatures. Average 82 degrees. And controlled day-night ambient light uh, cycling. Awesome. So, If anybody wants this, uh, I can send you the link to it. I sent it to Lori Torini the other day because she was uh, asking about it. Because I, I, We had a video on our old YouTube channel where I talked about this study and talked about what I did, you know, what I do with my animals as far as the cuts. Uh, and I uploaded that to this YouTube channel. So that is on there if anybody wants to go see it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion. It's like it takes two seconds to make some cuts in the mouse. I do notice the snakes, you know, digest them way faster. Like that lump is gone within 48 hours, typically wow. on most of my babies. Uh, I think with, with chondros and stuff in particular, it really helps them get through the, the fur and stuff too, especially on, you know, hoppers and small adults. I typically do the cuts closer to the, the tail, the base tail, because when they squeeze it, I have had a few where it got really messy. Um, but yeah, it's from 2018 is when it says it was revised. It was from Connie Hurley. And this was specifically on neonates growing up, or was there anything done with like adult snakes? No, I think this was this is all hatchlings. Okay. Um, but I do. I mean, I'm I have a have a hunch that I think it really does help females though too, especially if you're breeding and helps them get more out of each meal as well. Yeah. Um, and it's less less work on their system to get it digested. So. Excellent. I don't know. I thought that was just that was something Joe uh, Phelan talked about on his his show you know years ago and after looking into it i was i was just shocked and it was like how come nobody knows about this you know it's so simple and then y'all had someone on npr a while back that mentioned doing the same thing but they just did it because they noticed a difference not because they had seen the study it was completely irrelevant you know they were right somebody it was one of the older guys that was that was doing it hmm i don't remember yeah, I'm, I'm eager to do it with the ring calls because uh, they, I've been feeding them live and mm -hmm. uh, they're finally starting to show interest. And they're not taking it from tongs, but they're they're eating, you know, fresh kill that I put in there. And uh, once I got them, once I get them on Frozen Thought fully, I'm 100% doing cuts on everything just because they don't digest that fur. They just, mm -hmm. they're not, they're not totally designed to be exclusively rodent eaters. And the majority of the stuff I give them is going to have fur, so I think it, I think it will help a lot. I know it'll. Well, help. I mean, like I said, it takes three seconds to do, so it's yeah. not like it's anything extra labor intensive, you know. Yeah. It, right. Whether it really does benefit or not, I mean, why not? You know, it's, it it may be a little messier if you have a species that just squeeze the ever loving shit out of it, but. <laughs> Um, Sabu pythons. Yeah, yeah. Bought, I've had, yeah. I've had some chondros that really made a mess of, of some of them. That's why I cut them closer to the base of the tail, where it's, there's there's less gut and stuff that I have to worry about popping out yeah. and covering them in blood. Right. You know? Oh yeah, super cool. I keep saying I'm gonna try and recreate or you know try and do something similar with stuff that I hatch out, but it never seems to happen that way. I just at some point I'm gonna I'm gonna do it though. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's also tough too because, you know, you have to you, to really do it correctly for your own study. You got to have a decent sample size. You can't do it with like five snakes. You know what I mean? So even if you got like a full, like the biggest corn clutch you ever had, you'd have to save all your babies. You know? Right, and that's kind of the issue because I was planning. I was originally doing it with that first clutch of chondros, um, mm -hmm. and then I, you know, they started going out to other places and stuff. So 
I think with them in particular, especially when you're dealing with with smaller babies that you know are a little tougher to get going, um, like Alterna, like Condros, like Antaresia. I think I think that's that kind of stuff does really help give them that boost to get them up to bigger size meals to where they're getting more out of it. And it's not just pinkies, you know, little little blobs of goo. And, um, you know, I think it's like I said, the the extra work is almost non-existent and you might get all the benefit from it. So it's something to at least think about and and try. And I do it for all my animals, adults and and babies alike. So, yeah. And I think also, too, is. uh, some people that may listen to this, there's a lot of people now holding back their stuff for, you know, six to eight months, if not longer, just to either make a decision as to what they really want to keep or just to make sure that the animals are, are good to go before they fly out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I think that more people should at least try it with if they're if you're going to keep it for six months, it couldn't hurt to, to jot that stuff down and really keep an eye on it. You know? Yeah. Well, that was the other issue too with the chondros was like weighing them weekly and finding the time to, yeah. Like I got I got lazy at some some points and didn't weigh them, you know, one week and then weigh them the next, and that kind of skews things. And I wasn't trying to make it super scientific or anything like that because I feel like with the results and numbers like that, you can be inconsistent with the measurement of it and probably still see similar results. You know, I wouldn't be like an official scientific study where I'd be writing a paper about it or anything like that. It would just be more or less anecdotal, but I'd have a spreadsheet that shows more or less the same results just with, you know, chondros or, or corns myself or bears, whatever. Yeah. And, and just like Billy does with his neonates and having feed charts and shed charts, it, it would just be something more to add to, to the individual specimens, you know, portfolio, so to speak. You know, I think it also is easier when you have something like a baby chondro, because let's say you've got a bunch of specialty enclosure design, uh, arboreal cradles or arboreal perches Mm -hmm. you could just take the whole perch out and you know have another perch that you zeroed out on the scale put the whole perch on the scale and it's not that big a deal it's a little more tricky if you're doing you know a squirmy snake and have to shove it in a deli cup or something right well not shove it billy hunt i know you know i know (laughs) whatever you gotta do man (laughs) no judgment man no judgment just in there. I mean, I did a similar thing with Crest. You just take the nicest Morelia and turn it into a, a demon. Yeah. <laughs> the female's still chill, bro. How about that tannin bar, though? That tannin bar is a godsend. <sighs> just like that trinket I got. Things of yeah, exactly, exactly. The sweetest, calmest trinket you've ever. Anyways, had. Phil, it what kills. do you got? What's what's next? I got, I got one more paper. I pulled out of my Rinkal's hat just because I figured... Uh, oh, that trinket snake, by the way. <laughs> it's cool, man. Uh, so this paper it's is... the coolest um, one I got. <laughs> it is. It, dude, it's so chill, and it's pretty. Like, it's great. Yeah. All right. So this next paper... Um, this is actually... This, this gentleman, Graham Alexander, it's his thesis for his doctoral, and it's Thermal Physiology of Hamakatus Hamakatus and its Implications to Range Limitation. I like it. So, obviously, I like Rangals, and they are extremely unique species. It's 170 pages because Ooh. he's got to follow the, the, the thesis template. You know what I mean? Mm. Um I'm pretty sure if I go to like the 60s, there's some graphs. Double space too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Basically, what he's doing is he's showing people that the 
temperature of the ecosystem obviously directly affects the animal's core temperature as well as their surface temperature, but it also shows the range in which the species can you know, thrive and survive. Um, I think it was in like 62 or 64, maybe. What's this? This one's a little difficult, but this one's this is basic body temperature in relation to the temperature outside. And you can kind of see that it basically stays with it, you know? Um, huh. And I always show that one Tyrone Ping picture of the, the wrinkles basking in snow. And obviously there's extreme circumstances, but this one I really like. The, this is probably my favorite one. So this one is the time ratio in relation to temperature. And then you'll notice on this particular middle one. Can you zoom in a, on his one? Yeah. On this particular middle one. Show me the money. Can you guys see that better? Yeah. So dotted line is external and the solid line is internal. And you can see how wow. it retains the core temperature despite being an ectotherm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I mean, That's wild. I'm not good with with Celsius and Fahrenheit conversions, but you can see the the peak times of day, the low times of day, and I mean I know that he did a bunch of field studies, but most of this data was from uh, animals in captivity, and he was really really uh, articulate as to how the animals were set up in the terms of their bedding and everything else. Um, which one was this one? That was like 30, like the baseline roundabout was about 35 degrees, right? Celsius? Uh, yeah, I think so. That's 95 Fahrenheit. Yeah. Uh, we'll go back to that one that I like with the dotted line. Actually, I just passed it. That one. Yeah, the base, I would say, is about 35. So, I mean, and you can, you know, I have to look and see. No, no, 25. It, I'm sorry. He does, he does basic times of the year, and it goes through seasons and stuff. But It's about 77 degrees Fahrenheit. <clears throat> But the paper is interesting because 77, you said? Yeah. Okay. Give or take. Okay. So it's also interesting because obviously he's using animals in captivity. He's also using animals in the wild. But the range is so diverse in terms of the landscape of the ecosystem. Is You know, you've got, you know, arid steppe land that reaches temperatures in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you drive, you know three, four hours south, and there's snow on the ground. Mm -hmm. It's it's incredible. So a lot of this stuff was super interesting, at least to me, because I'm addicted to the species. Um, but this just goes to show you, scroll on ResearchGate, scroll on archive.org, and just you know type in just the genus name of one of your favorite species, and you will find something mm -hmm. awesome out there. And if you don't, well, crap, that gives you reason to try it yourself. <laughs> Well, it's also nice to know now that that Loafman told us, you know, the, the, when you have to pay for a paper, that's not going to the, the person who wrote it. That's going to the host site. Yeah. And so if you want the paper, you just hit up that, that person that did that study. And he said most of the time they're more than willing to, to give it to you or send it. Yeah. To you. I don't feel as bad pirating scientific papers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. I cool. found a lot of stuff on uh, different herpological journals mm -hmm. that are out there uh, and a lot of their older stuff is archived and you can just go on and you know check out the pdf of it and stuff and i found tons of stuff on tons of species 
that uh yeah so if you go looking in the right places you can find just about anything on any species yeah that's that's it's it's been it's been interesting digging because you find stuff that you were looking for you find stuff that you weren't looking for and then like cosmic octopus the fucking rabbit holes oh yeah like didn't even think about it you know what i mean and like that that gecko paper you know it shows how many eat centipedes like stellatus almost entirely eat centipedes throughout most of the year and then it's like well how many different species of, their, of centipedes are there in the null arbor plain and like just going through that and mm-hmm. like rabbit hole after rabbit hole so yeah yeah, you learn so much more from from those scientific papers than you will, you know, a care sheet, a basic care sheet on stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Well, you have to be able to read between the lines too. I mean, well, sure. for sure. But I'm saying, if you're gonna do a care sheet, I'm kind of surprised more people don't don't integrate the information from these papers and sort of bring them together. Yeah. To where it's like this is how they're naturally built to handle X, Y, and Z, and this is what we should be doing in captivity to accommodate that. Yeah, but I think that it gets difficult too because the people in our community are—I hate using the word thirsty—but they're they're they they want the knowledge, right? They want the the insight, they want the points of view, they want the opinions, they want the scientific data. But there's a lot of our hobby that is not necessarily part of the community, which is not a bad thing, who is enthusiastic about the hobby, but isn't as devoted or diehard as we are. So, you know, my my one friend manages a pet shop that has all different stuff, dogs, cats, birds, reptiles, fish. And I ask, you know, you guys carry a lot of cool reptiles because, you know, they like reptiles. Is how many people ask? Who bred that chameleon or who bred that snake or where those fish you know were farmed? And it's zero. Zero. None of them, none of them even think to ask it. They get the, you know, Zoomed or Exoterra, you know, basic, you know, uh, care sheet, or they downloaded a care sheet from, you know, Billy Bob, whomever on the internet. And it says you put the heat lamp here, you put the water bowl here. If you have UV, you put it here. You, you change the sand once a month, you scoop it with the, with the kitty litter scooper, and you're done. That's how you take care of a leopard gecko. And What if you took it a step further, and we had people that were integrating that information to where that became sort right. of the, the baseline or the standard, where it's like, sure. this is why you need to do this. Like, this is the reason we're saying this is why you should have a 186-degree hotspot for an Aki, or, you know, this is why UV is important for... Conixus or you know all that sure, stuff. Sure, sure. But I think it also comes down to if a you know middle class parent is purchasing a you know two or three hundred dollar beer dragon setup for their fifty dollar beer dragon, which is great. I don't know if they really want to learn that stuff. You know what I mean? Well, you wouldn't even have to ne- have to necessarily include the whys, but just be like, here's what you need to be keeping at. You know, and it's like. If you want to know this information, awesome, but this is, I don't know. Yeah, sort of like breaking down the, the the natural history, but in a way that, you know, the reason that you put it at this temperature is because it's in the outback of Australia that, you know, 
gets to temperatures, blah, 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 you know, whatever. But don't you think that like more and more people are trying to keep, especially those type of keepers where they're keeping one or two reptiles, don't you think that they're going more of the route of naturalistic looking and Mm -hmm. really decking it out to where maybe they would be interested in that? You see that changing at all? Yeah, but I feel that they want to do it for the aesthetics of their home, not necessarily for the animal or because it's better for the animal per se. And again, I'm generalizing and I don't want to sure, insult yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm not trying to insult anyone. I'm just trying to think rationally. No, about just having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um I've just seen, you know, working in pet shops for a long time, I've seen the parent that's like, Hey, my kid wants a pet snake. What's a good snake? Oh, well, here's a corn snake. Here's it's, a berm. No, well, <laughs> Not anymore, but here's a corn snake. It's a great snake. It doesn't get too big. It very rarely bites. Oh, it bites? Well, anything with a mouth can bite, but this snake's going to bite? No, it, the odds of it biting you are very unlikely, but everything with a mouth can bite. And they they, they, they kind of let that one, they brush that one off. And then it's, well, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. You're going to do this. And, well, I thought you said this was going to be easy. And it's like, granted, those aren't our people. Those it's aren't not a goldfish. You know, but I feel like... Where am I going with this? I feel that if you give them too much, you'll almost scare them away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's why the basic care sheet with the cartoon drawing of the the rectangle with the dome on top and the circle on the bottom is a water bowl. I feel like that's the only reason why it's still here is to not scare people off. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about doing like, the, the old switcheroo of like being more specific with you know temperatures or whatever for example to where it's like not just some blanket of like put a 60 watt bulb on them and you're good to go instead being like this is what you're shooting for you sure. don't necessarily have to tell them why but it's like yeah this. okay yeah and I've thought I about that he- too of keeping a, a basic sheet on page one and then they realize that there's more There's more than one page to this pamphlet. And then they go to page two and three and four, and it's more and more natural history or more advanced husbandry for that species mm-hmm. should they decide that they want to be curious and read right. more about it. Yep. My trouble with the care sheet has always been that, you know, I think that it gives people a false sense of security in that if I do A, B, and C, I don't have to worry about anything because yeah. I'm doing A, B, and C. Real and and meanwhile, the 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 reptile is just going downhill in front of yeah. you because I think Rob talked about it last week with you guys about the the diamond python thing in Colorado why it worked as opposed to you know trying to replicate it in Pennsylvania. It's not going to work because yeah. Colorado's weather is way different than Pennsylvania. So right, um, you know, I don't know. It's it's tough to not that's yeah, it's just tough that that but that's always been my gripe with care sheets is that it doesn't i guess from doing npr for so long and talking from people all over the place you just realize that there's so many different ways to keep and a lot of it has to do with where you're at yeah sure sure yeah i i don't want people to think that i'm anti-care sheet or that i'm anti no in-depth care sheet no, I just know no. that there's a lot of people that won't jump on that bandwagon, and it, it's sad to 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 think about that. You know, I, don't know. I did a. Well, it's the starting place. It's not a. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the end of your research. It's just okay. I'm getting the gist yeah. of it. I need to do more on the back end. 
I think about when I bought my first carpet python. I bought it at a pet shop. I had no idea about lineage, jungle, coastal. I I, yeah. I didn't know any of that. I just saw, wow, that's a cool looking python. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a jungle carpet python. Turns out that it wasn't, but you know, I that's how it sold to me, and I was like, okay, cool, you know, and then trying to find information on it and you know you went on a know. facebook group and said can anybody tell me what kind of carpet this is well there was no facebook <laughs> back then but yeah <laughs> what's my carpet <laughs> maybe maybe myspace was <laughs> yeah. yeah what uh, uh what was the carpet if it wasn't a jungle it was um it was like uh Diamond Jungle Coastal mix of it was a cool looking python for sure, hundred percent. But it was just all of them. The Mega Morelia. But then you start realizing that there's other, you know, oh shit, there's subspecies. I didn't, you know, and then you to your point earlier, it's like you just go down this rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, next thing you know, you're learning about, you know, the prey and the, the you know, just yeah, every but, time I do a show, I uh I get reminded how confusing carpets can be for people that yeah. aren't like into it, you know, or haven't been following it as long. I would I would yeah. say and, just snakes in general, man. Anything that has a, a morph or a locality. I think the struggle with the Python part of it, probably what you're going to say, Billy, is like you you have this. You a lot of those people are coming from ball pythons, which is a single species. It's. It, you know, you can mix this, that, that, this, that, you know, and it doesn't matter because it's still Python Regis. Whereas with, at least that's what confused me. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the subspecies stuff. Yeah, that's what gets people. I go around yeah. the table. I'm like, these are coastals. These are jungles. These are IJs. These are this. These are that. And you just see their eyes just glaze over. Yeah. And they're like, Shit, I, just I still feel that way about rat snakes. You know what I mean? It's like, wait, what? <laughs> Well, let me ask you, Billy, like Tampa show, you, you, I remember you were with that dad and his two daughters and they were mm -hmm. to the moon and back with how much information you gave them because they were, they were herpers in the making. You know what I mean? It was, it was amazing to watch you be able to help them on, to build the foundation of their snake journey. Right. Yeah. How many people come to you with the carpet specifically and they think that you know bumblebee ball is its own species of python opposed to like you know what i mean did that make sense like they don't see it as a morph they see it as a right like thing. they don't realize that a morph is a morph of an existing species they think that they're all different snakes i've seen that on craigslist yeah uh usually the people that are like in that realm they usually don't even know what a a carpet is okay you know like they'll be the ones that come up and hey what kind of ball pythons are these what kind of boas are these yeah and then you know then i give the little you know the little rundown whatever if they'll listen sometimes i'm like oh they're carpets and they're like oh, okay thanks <laughs> um i always hear about i don't know if you've heard this eric but there seems to be this one adult pair of jungle carpets that's in every pet shop that just makes everybody hate carpets. Like everyone that tells me that carpets get big, they're mean. Yeah. It always goes back to a pair of jungles yeah. in an old pet shop that they yeah. used to go to. Uh, 
I'm like, man, is it the same pair that these people like? I've <laughs> probably heard that. I've probably heard that story at least, you know, six or seven times doing shows. Well, and it's that's yeah. the first snake I bought was that exact thing. <laughs> it's <Yes. laughs> big, huge. Well, that's supposedly like supposedly jungle carpet. That's for, for, the shit out of you. For years, I stayed away from coastals because. I don't remember where I learned this, but coastals were the ones that get 10, 11 foot. And they were the ones that were going to eat you out of house and home. And, oh, man, that's too much snake for me. I'll stick to, you know, the other subspecies. But Well, again, I think that has to do with, and I didn't really, again, connecting it when I'm seeing it. It's like when you visually go and see wild carpets, it completely changes your whole opinion of how they are and what we have in the U United States. And just like, you know, we're looking at a, a natural history book that's talking about coastal carpets that's found in the range where they do get that big, you know, and yeah. that's not what we have in the States. They're the exception, not the rule. Right. Correct. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you're seeing probably, you know, down where Scott's at and stuff, you're seeing carpets that could possibly get that size. He's always showing pictures of these coastal carpets with these huge meals that are, you know, ate somebody's pet dog or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, even if you're following um, the like the snake catcher guys and stuff, like you yeah. see all the carpets they're finding and it's it's pretty infrequent that you see one that is that makes you go, wow, that's a that's a big ass carpet. You know, all of them seem pretty, yeah. pretty standard. Yeah, but granted, that could also be just that area that they're that they're working in. You know, I was surprised at the size of the Darwin carpet that we saw. I really? was surprised at how big that was. Yeah, I, Interesting. I really was surprised. I think honestly, I think it was probably my first trip to Billy's house when he showed me some of his larger breeder female coastals, and I was like, "Oh, all right, so this is I I can deal with this," you know, because I I never really messed around with coastals at all other than like babies maybe yearlings i never kept them and then i go to jake's house and he has poplins females that are his breeders that are twice the size of billy's coastals i'm like wait this is backwards <laughs> you yeah know? so uh well that was me and owen in the you know in the early days of mbr he kept his snakes huge i mean they were humongous he did have a 10-foot coastal carpet python i mean the thing was yeah. humongous and, you know, he didn't know. He just fed it. <laughs> he fed it what the care sheet said every week, you know. It was huge. It was huge. It's like a 42-egg clutch that it went like. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's insane. That's and insane. for the longest time, you know, I kept my carpets. Like, I fed them, but they, they stayed on the smaller side. And it wasn't until I started getting stuff from Nick where he would send me, like, his breeder breeder this breeder mailed this or breeder mailed that and you know you'd get it and you'd be like oh okay i'm i'm doing i'm doing it right you know so yeah man yeah when when i got in i purposely got a male ij because i was you know i was nervous about the sizes i was seeing you know and then of course uh, i'm in daytona one year and i see it was like an eight foot, nine foot jungle that this guy was just carrying around. Gorgeous snake, but just the size of it. And I wasn't, you know, used to being around pythons that big. It definitely was like, okay, that's a little, that's a little much. Let me stick to my four or five foot IJ, you know, so they won't get bigger. But as time went on, I realized that a six foot 
python and a seven eight foot python there's really not that much of a difference yeah. you know right right like and then once you get more comfortable with them and stuff so but i kind of like what phil was alluding to i i don't really make my stuff that big anyway yeah um you know really no reason to i couldn't imagine yeah. having a 10 foot one in here <laughs> that'd be, that'd be <laughs> crazy yeah yeah, yeah. all my all my big snakes like the bigger ones i got them as adults and it was more i got the box and then i open it up so i'm like yeah it's kind of heavy and then i open it up I'm like holy shit <laughs> like all right i guess i got this thing now you know kind of the picture was a little skewed i guess but. yeah yeah that's nuts <laughs> well boys is there anything else we want to cover tonight i don't have anything no i'm good we can stop here yeah. All right. I'm good. I thought tonight was a good night, guys. Yeah. Thanks nice for having me. Always a good night. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad Eric got to join in. It's awesome. I get to talk to the Podfather twice in one week. <laughs> oh shit! <Man. laughs> I know, right? I made it. I made it. The dark yeah, school for kids who can't read good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, good stuff. Yeah, we'll make sure we get more books for the next one. <laughs> yeah, this just means now I gotta buy more books. I know, right? Damn it. Yeah, Eric put me on the spot in the episode, and just out of the blue, he's like, "So, what book are you reading?" I was like, "Damn it, Eric. <laughs> I'm not reading one." <laughs> I told you, I don't know how to read. Yeah, <laughs> this one. Like, I should have known this was coming. This is oh, the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carryalls. Told me about that one for yeah. I gotta get that one. I'm telling you, that's a good one. Awesome, awesome. All right, this was episode one hundred and six of Snakes and Stogies, which is brought to you by Puget Sound Pythons and BlackBoxCages.com. Check them out, both of them, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Give them a follow. If you need a cage, you need a rack. You need to talk to Jen and Clint at Blackbox. They make some awesome stuff. Here, here. A plus plus. And I, uh, they have some cool stuff coming out soon. Jen yes. sent me those pictures and really cool stuff. Constantly evolving, constantly adapting. I like it. They are very open to ideas and they like there's something you're looking for, like a design in mind. You know, they we we talk about stuff like that a lot. So. So you're saying I should go there to get the Aki cage and the pin <clears throat> cage? Yes. Okay. Couldn't hurt. Very good. And they have those those hide boxes that they're very rudimentary, but the sky's the limit in terms of what you could do with them. You know, in terms of using them as a shelf or using them as like a a, a frame to sculpt some naturalistic vivaria around mm -hmm. it. Like awesome. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll be back Thursday for THP 149, I think. So it'll be fun. Rock and roll. Don't forget to check out uh, Venom Exchange Radio. I almost forgot the name of my own show. Jeez. Venom Exchange Radio. It's on everything. Go look at it. Watch When's it. the next episode coming out? Uh, it's already done. Um, Stop teasing us. 
we're it's just difficult, man, because we're we're trying to record as much as we can, but Nipper it is hard, schedule. ain't it? It, dude, it's so hard. And like trying to get together with you and Nipper. The gecko and, thing. Yeah. Uh, man. Gecko thing. Like it's just been rough with schedules and people's work and people getting sick and everything else. So, yeah. um, and it's difficult because a lot of the guests that Nipper and I want to have on, they're almost all international. So getting like the, the timing right. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I'm talking to a gentleman in Lebanon who's doing a ton of field herping. And he's like, yeah, I want to get on there. We'll talk about, you know, uh, Caucasian vipers and Middle Eastern stuff, but uh, we'd have to do it between you know Tuesday and Friday morning because that's the only time that I'll have electricity because you know the government shuts it off. So like trying to get people to talk. Uh, there's uh, two gentlemen in Iran who have successfully bred in captivity uh, Naja Oxiana, the, but the Iranian locality Naja Oxiana, first time ever bred in captivity, and. Uh, talking to them and trying to translate everything into Arabic has become difficult, but, uh, but we got some cool things coming guys. So Venom Exchange Radio, check it out. It's on Google, Apple and Spotify. So yeah, it will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. Next episode is going to be awesome. It's our first guest. Uh, we're going to try and do a uh, first Sunday of every month. I think that'll be good for right now. And uh, hopefully we'll get to put out more. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Good. Awesome. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye. Everybody, have a good night.